Hey, hey. Yo, what's up? This is the Blue Collar Philosophers Podcast. I am Kickstand. That is Biker Mike from Mars. And we what have going on? We have a three-timer. Oh, three. Yes, one that we can actually release. I know a third timer because the last time we had somebody on three times, the first two no, he couldn't even. No, he didn't even. Only make the three middle times. ones left. The middle ones left. <laughs> yeah, yes. the sober one. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, welcome back to the pod, Cole. It's good to be back. Yeah, yes. I always love coming in with you guys. It's a lot of fun. Yes. So uh, we just we were talking uh, without the microphones on. Yeah. So we got to get back into it. We were talking about nukes going off and like- Or there not being any. (laughs) Or there not being any. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody laid claim to say that there's no nukes. It's not a thing. Like, what was the last? uh, Dinosaurs don't (laughs) exist. You can't prove it. Yeah. Eddie Bravo. Jujutsu master. Kind of a crackpot. (laughs) He's fucking insane, but he's a phenomenal jujutsu guy. Dude, I watched him choke some guy out with his own leg. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's a freak. He's the art of folding laundry with people in it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so apparently it's like, oh, you've never seen one go off. There, There's literal history of Las Vegas tourism being come to Vegas and watch a nuke go off. It's what they did, uh, I want to say, uh, in the 40s when they were doing all the just research and everything. It's like, well, we got to find the efficiency. What's the best it way would to probably, do it? It would probably be the 50s because... In the f- before they dropped, no, because they dropped in forty-five. Yeah, yeah, but it, before that though, it would have been secret until they actually like did it. Oh yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't. I don't know the exact date. I just know that there was a tourist industry <laughs> in Vegas for watching nukes go off. Which yeah. I suppose if they're doing it enough at regular enough intervals, you yeah. could find a place to see it in the distance. Yeah. America, America, and that's exactly it. That's the kind of crazy shit that America gets to do, and I, I, I am glad it exists. <laughs> And they did it on their own backyard. They're like, we're going to do it on our own land. <coughs> Fuck the environment. Yeah, you can go lose everything on blackjack and then go watch a nuke go off and just yeah. think, this is a country I want to live in. <laughs> Fuck yeah. America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. <sighs> so I'm, I'm, I realized something. I'm hanging, around, hanging out around the fireplace, the fire pit there for a little while, mm-hmm. and my voice is starting to get a little crackly. I'm little like, oh shit, it's good. <laughs> You guys okay. are gonna carry on this one. You no, no, you just gotta, spill? you just gotta, you drive it into the points where it gets kind of all gravelly and sexy. Just, it just it hit it harder. Yeah, hit it harder. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to. Uh, so we've had a fun week, weekend. I guess two weeks. I call it two weeks of uh, getting the bikes ready, getting going. Yeah, uh, it's finally time to do cool biker shit with our friends, and, <laughs> and I'm so glad for that. Oh, it's it's the best. It, our recording has kind of hit the back burner, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> And so we got to do another bike blessing today and go hang out with the guys and just ride and, oh man, Tom's bike, Tom and, uh, oh, Rob's, Uncle, Tom. Yeah. Uncle Tom and Rob's bike. Oh, Fuck, they look sexy, man. They're so yeah, the nice. Is so sick. Yeah. So to describe to you guys listening what they are, it's like they're, they're a Milwaukee at road glides. So they're, they're the new model of road glides, but they did the, the fat tire conversions or did they the both front. do it? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they both yeah. did. Okay. Both Rob and Tom. So the, so the back go- tire and the front tire are the yeah. same size. <laughs> so yeah, the the front tire on their road glides is wider than the back tire on my Intruder. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Like, is there any advantage performance wise to that, or is it shittier? I I, wouldn't I honestly don't know. I imagine it's I imagine for for what it is, it's probably pretty neutral. I think it's more yeah. of an aesthetic because it's an expensive mod to do. But yeah. for the way that Tom rides, he's not looking to get performance out of it. Oh, no. He's a he's a riding for mileage and a yeah. strutter. 
Yeah, he oh, yeah. And he looks. That yeah, bike I was at the back of the so back good. today, so I got mm-hmm. I got first. Oh, well, they showed up late, anyways, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. waving them in. Yeah, and, and that bike just. Like, but he only does speed limit. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Oh, he won't go over. He won't go over. No. Yeah, so he's not. Is he's this not like out there abiding there. by the law thing, or is it's this just his personal conviction I of I a, don't need to? And uh, well, yeah, I think there's a degree of I don't need to, a degree of conviction about the law, and also just being like I'm old and I've already done my crazy crap. Yeah, you know, I just I enjoy slowing down. Yeah, he's just. He's, I pray to Jesus that I never get to that point in my life. <laughs> like the, the slow down because I'm old. <laughs> face. It, it, I've gotten there a little bit, I but I don't, I, <coughs> I slow down to a certain degree. I'm not slowing down to the, I'm going to do exactly the speed limit all the time. I'm doing the, I'm riding and recording the road conditions. I'm not going to push myself or the bike harder than it yeah. needs to be pushed. Yeah. There, there's when, you know, when you're riding a bike, that's like a 1300 cruiser. It's like doing 180 the whole way to Dawson Creek from here. Terrifying. Like it's just bad for the engine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not made for that. It's screaming. Just bouncing off your... the limiter. Ding, 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 Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am at the point where I'm like, no, where's my bike comfortable? Where am I comfortable? That's where, that's where I like to float. Well, there's by myself riding, which is pretty conservative. You know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. not out to get a speeding ticket by myself and they're way more likely to pull you over by yourself. Oh right? yeah. So my fucker is, is, is at a much lower level. Yeah. But if I'm with like a brother, like a good friend or whatever. Oh yeah. And it's go time. Like, let's have some fun. Oh yeah. When you're with the right brother at the right time, it's like yes. fucking let's do this. <laughs> we, we were riding last weekend into smoke and it was getting so smoky that I'm like, oh, we're oh, coming dude. up on fire. Yeah, we haven't even had a chance to talk about it on the podcast. No, I didn't even bring it up on the last one okay, either. Okay. So right now in Northern can Northern West, Northwest Canada, there is fires all over the place. It's super hot, dry, yeah, dry spring. We have had no rain. So we, Mike and I hopped on our bikes for our kind of our first road trip adventure of, of the season last weekend, going to Grand Prairie for our old brother's bike blessing there. Yeah. And it, like, there's a huge wildfire right outside of Grand Prairie. So as we approached, the sun was blotted out of the sky. Like, oh yeah. We couldn't see the sun at six o'clock in the evening. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then ahead of us was this, this mountain of glowing orange cloud yeah, uh, that was like, I would say 50% darker than it should have been that time of day. Oh yeah. The, and it, 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 it really did feel like we're, we're riding into fire. I, yeah. and, and it was at the point for me, I was like, let's fucking do this. I was just getting <laughs> oh, jacked. <laughs> right. Jacked <laughs> I, was, up, I right? wasn't, I wasn't scared. I'm like, oh no, the road might be closed. I'm like, no, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was the feeling of like fucking a kick down the doors of hell. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. <Woo! laughs> There was that feeling. I'm pretty sure. Oh I, yeah, I, I screamed it in my helmet. <laughs> Highway to hell just what blasting you in your head. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's and one of those. What do you do? Well, just you, just go. Just go. Just yeah. What, every, what are we gonna turn around? And like so many people were leaving town. Like the gas stations were full. People trying to fill up gas and motorcycles take off, just sneak in. Take in. <laughs> so we're going the opposite way of all this traffic leaving. We're like. Dude, what's going on? Like, this is, I I didn't know it was that is, bad. I really didn't. I'm like, oh, there's a couple little fires, yeah. whatever. And like, no, they were on evacuation order. Yeah, These people so, are all topping up all their fuel tanks. Yeah. When, when we pulled into Grand Prairie, my chrome was shining back orange. Yeah. It was the weirdest thing. Like, look, I looked down at my bike, and it's just glowing orange because like From all the, the uh, all the, the everywhere the around filter us was in the air, everything in the orange. Like it was it was like 
you were, it was like you were in Mordor, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, or, or hell itself or something like that. It was such a strange feeling that day. Last, yeah. last summer, there was a lot of fires in the Okanagan and that's basically, there was like probably almost a month of the sky being basically just orange. Like you could, like, that's right. I wrote down there just, last year, right around mm. Hope, there was that big fire right next to Hope. There was, oh yeah, there was tons of fires last year again. You, you think that it, it would eventually run out of things to burn. <laughs> it's a big province. It's a big province. It's a very big province. Well, what uh, people don't realize is that that's part of the natural fucking cycle of the forest. Like mm-hmm. shit yeah. has to burn for it to return to carbon, to refertilize us. Like it's just yeah. like yeah. the, and the as cycle a, of life. Yeah. As, yeah. as a society, we stopped doing control burns too. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I've heard so many people say they used to do that like, you know, 30, 40 years ago, they would go in and they would intentionally start fires in the whole areas, just clear underbrush from whole, from whole forests, basically yeah. whole ranches, ranges. Well, you do it at the right time of year too. Yeah. You're not going to get a fire that goes out but of control. But they stopped, they stopped doing that because of the risk, because of the, oh, nanny, <laughs> you know, yeah. fear factor of it getting. And so all these places are just getting years and years and years of built up underbrush that's dry as tinder. Yeah. And once it catches, like. Yeah, good luck. You're not putting this out. Yeah, especially down you're, in the Okanagan area, it, like yeah. the heat down there. It or even just so the, aggress- the aggressive fighting of fires, like of natural ones, to the point where you're not letting them take their natural course, and then they get bigger and badder. But it also mm. created an entire industry of fighting fires. Like <laughs> now they get to hire and, and bring these people on board and be like, you're not, we're not preventing this, we're allowing it to happen so that maybe, I'm, this is just a theory, there's more work in fighting the fire and more money to Ooh, be made. That's some cool Eddie Bravo shit right that's there. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> Where they're like, hey, uh, we could save a lot of money by not doing this, but we could charge the taxpayer more, create jobs. It's a, it's just a, building the economy by destroying it. Well, there was forest fires <laughs> it's, it's near- the socialist way. Yeah. There was a forest fire near Falkland. <laughs> and uh, so he, this, is the, this is the theory that I've heard, is uh, there was a doctor that lived there that spoke out against COVID- yeah. And like literally it was like five minutes after his speech or whatever, Falkland caught fire. So they like literally like, there's accusations that it was government arson. Oh, really? burned down this town. That sounds like a, that sounds Eddie Bar- Bravo too. <laughs> <laughs> they literally had a giant sea can with it painted on the side of it. You drove through Falkland and it was like government arson. Oh, and that, really? But, but people might even blame the hubris and be like, he spoke against the universe and the universe spoke back. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, you do not do that. And it just destroys it. <laughs> oh, no kidding. A <laughs> L- little too esoteric or what? <laughs> Oh no, I I get it. I think okay, let's get weird. I think <laughs> do it. I think there no are stuff. I think there are mythic. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you guys listening here could have been for the fire for the fireside we had before, and you would totally get that. <laughs> oh, I totally lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. For, for butt stuff, it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> for butt stuff, it's worth it. You're gonna lose it again. Oh, God bless your wife. <laughs> well, that, that one weighs. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh. Not what, <laughs> not what he meant. She's a sage. You know damn well that's what everybody thought. I'm here for it. 
Yeah, you are. Honey, if you're listening, <laughs> she's not listening. <laughs> Our wives don't listen, and when they do, they're severely disappointed. <laughs> My wife, she's like, I need to come on and defend everyone else. Everyone else. And call you out for your crap. Yeah, <laughs> even okay. when even when it's not warranted. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, remember. so, okay, you were talking about the universe speaking back. Yes. All right, so, in some ways, I think maybe there are things and times where there's like mythic patterns or mythic signs that happen. So back when, you remember when, when Crimea split off of the Ukraine? Yep. (coughs) Annexed by, by Russia to be part of the Ukraine. Yeah. I tried to say it as neutrally as possible, but yes. (laughs) Annexed is neutral, I think. Yeah. That's what I meant. Okay. Okay. All right. So yeah, when, when that whole thing happened, that kind of that, that initial modern kickoff of this conflict between Ukraine and Russia, the Pope had a prayer ceremony for Ukraine and Russia and had a Ukrainian kid and a Russian kid up with him at the Vatican and they each had a dove and they had a prayer service and they were supposed to release the doves as a symbol of peace and unity in hopes for Russia and Ukraine to reconcile and figure their stuff out, right? And as they released the doves, a hawk and a crow... (laughs) came from the sides and attacked them. This is on camera and attacked them and killed these, killed these two doves, these doves that they, that they release as a symbol of peace. Right. Yeah. So it's like, Ooh, that's a bad look. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, it represented something true that was happening. Like, you know, sometimes, sometimes your better intentions or your prayer and stuff like that, like it's, it's interrupted or it's, you know, you're, there's a spiritual element of things don't happen the way you want it to. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's a sign, right? That That's a sign that's prophetic of things to come. And people will look back as people describe this and they'll think, no, fuck no. That's, there's no way that happened. Yeah. Like, that's like, you're speaking poetically, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but no, that's a real thing and it's on camera. <laughs> it's like, like everybody was there to see it. So when you say... Sometimes the universe speaks back. I think as people who believe in God, we need to take that seriously. God speaks back sometimes. Yeah. And it's not always going to look the way you and hope. It's, yeah. It's, it's not, not always look. It's not always going to be sunshine and butterflies. Yeah. Sometimes God speaks, talks back and says, no. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when he does that. Even when you're praying for something like peace. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, and it's a terrifying thing because we assume that whatever our prayer is, it's, it's, it's aligned with scripture. It's aligned with what is commonly good. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, my ways are above your ways. Yeah. Like sometimes. You might be praying for something, but I've got a, a plan bigger. Yeah. Now is it not Cause speaking sometimes that over Ukraine or Russia, but. Maybe sometimes peace isn't God's will. I know that's, people are going to hear that and be like, what God are you serving? But. Uh, read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? <laughs> read the Bible. Or just think, like, well, I mean, w- what peace does does good have with evil? Mm. What peace does right have with wrong? Yeah. Like, at some point, there has to be a line drawn on the sand, and it has to be fought out. Yeah. Well, you even look at, like, all the shit with, like, Trudeau and all this, like, people fighting the government, and, like, you're even seeing that stance in the church, like, we need to pray against the Bible, or pray against the government, and we have to stand up to them. Well, have you read your fucking Bible? Yeah. Because every time God's people turn away from him and turn to idols and false things, he sends a tyrannical government to go over the people. 
Yeah. And a bad it, leader it, it, it's to force us into God. Like it's to push us into him. Like that's, this is our own fucking doing. This is, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like self-inflicted self. Yeah. That's absolutely. A great like, word. <laughs> like God obviously loves us, but, but he, we're stupid he, and we turn to idols and we build these idols of, out of whatever we want to Like there's <laughs> even ourselves, like our own self-sexuality and our identity now of becoming these idols to people. Okay. I remember when you're a millennial as well. Uh, you are more than I am, but in the early 2000s, you're three were, years older than me. Shut, yeah. shut up. It's a huge three years. <laughs> uh, it's anyway, average size. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, there was this idea uh, in the early 2000s and late 90s that we just didn't like labels. It's like, man, I don't want to put a label on anything. I don't want to. I don't want to be labeled as that thing. I don't want to be labeled according to my generation or whatever. There, there was this drive, at least among the people that I was hanging out with. There was this label or this idea of anti-determinism uh, of who you were, where I have seen a huge shift in the culture to be. Oh no, it's all about how you identify and how you label yourself. And I, I don't know which is better. The, I don't want to put a label on it or the, I'm going to be so specific about my label that if you go against it, oh, you, I think you deny the, who I am. I think the obvious answer to that question is yes. <laughs> like it's yeah. both, both is bad. Yeah. Yes. Like, and yeah, yeah. And there has to be a healthy amount of, of freedom and also a healthy amount of boundaries yeah. and limitations. Yeah. That's, that's like saying like, is fascism worse or is Soviet communism worse? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're both horrible. And it's the same thing when it comes to when we find our identity in something else. Uh, yeah. Our government, our, 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 what political party we serve or, or submit to and be like, oh, I'm against this cause I'm this. Yeah, God's going to use whatever government is. Don't assume just because the peop the government you don't like one that it makes it better. You're still being punished just differently than you thought you would be. It, it's yeah, right, left, whichever. You're, if your country's gone to shit, your government's going to be used as punishment from God. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm off my rocker. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. There's a good chance of that. If you listen to the last, there's a high chance. Of it. High chance. <laughs> Did you listen to the last one that I put out yet? No, I haven't. Good. It's fucking. I I don't know. I was just. I was like, I'm gonna remain positive, and then I'm like, the latest killing in New York is kind of justified. <laughs> just kidding. I didn't I say that. To it. Uh, yeah, because you'd never stay positive. <laughs> never. I didn't. I was having a really hard time, and I was like, stick to the script. What do you actually want to talk about? Motorcycles. I talked about bikes. <laughs> Did you actually write a script? No, I didn't write a script. Oh, I would have been so proud of you. Yeah, you would, but it would have been boring. <laughs> I can't read. Well, I can. I, I can. <laughs> I can read. Not even my own writing. <laughs> but I, if if I sat here and read my own writing, like it, it never goes well. <laughs> it sounds boring. I like stutter over words. What's well, like, like these people that like do sermons and stuff? Like, I can preach. But I can't write shit out. Like I have, I have, I was asked to speak at a church on the 21st and I was given 20 minutes and they had like, didn't give me a topic or anything, but I, I'm stressing about this because I feel like I should give it the attention it deserves mm -hmm. and put some preparation time into it and, and plan out. 
but my fucking, even if I do that, like my brain doesn't function in that realm. Like putting things down on paper and even like on Facebook, like I, you've posted before, why don't you post your own thoughts? Cause it doesn't fucking come out right. Like okay. it, 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 that's how it processes to me. Right. Cause like, it's easy for me to have a conversation and sit around here cause I can talk for fucking hours about anything and everything. Yeah. And, and I love to, to process through things like that. But when it comes to like putting pen to paper or like typing something out and like organizing thoughts on paper, it sounds so contrite and so forced. And I think. It sounds like you need a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, either, either that, or you're just being too self-critical. You know what? That could be part of it too, right? Like, but it, it it doesn't sit like I haven't found my flow with it. If anything, right at the very least, I haven't found my flow with it because I, I don't feel like it's my voice that's coming out when I write things down. I feel like I'm either trying to over intellectualize things or it just seems. Well, I think ridiculous. We've been doing this for about a year now. So unless you find passion in what you're actually going to be writing or talking about, it's really hard to take the time to do it. Like mm. sometimes we get here and we're like, we want to talk about this. And deep down, we're like, I don't, I don't want to talk about anything. Yeah. I just want to chat. Like when we did the, we did the latest episode of, uh, is Joe Roy going to cockled? We just called it that for clickbaity shit. I, it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it was just a title. Well, simultaneously, we yep. had a plan. You don't think he's watching his wife get? <laughs> See, 40, Mike 40. will stop there. Yeah. Okay. Mike, no, <laughs> oh, no, not at all. We, I don't we, think that like, at all. We fully, we fully defined it. Okay, so Mike didn't know what it meant. No, when, no? When initially, initially when I, I used the term and then it's like, do you know what that means? Like, no. I heard somebody else say it and I just, can, I put it onto this and I, yeah, so that I don't know what it means. Thing. And so we talked about that. <laughs> and then we're like, it, we're like, hey, maybe we just make a clickbaity name and we put that because fucking why Gen- not? It was a social experiment to see if it would generate more more it, views. Did it? It did uh, not. No, nope. it has not. It, it has not hit nearly as much. There's no pay traction. There. <laughs> I'm like, all right, but we might just make all our uh, our bullshit sessions like really clickbaity Some kind names. Of clickbait title. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so unless you actually care about what you're talking about or. Uh, writing it down allows you the opportunity to actually put into motion the idea, okay, what do I actually believe about this topic? And write, like, thinking it through. Like, when it comes to, um, there's something I wrote a sermon, uh, uh, a Bible study. I'll call it a Bible study because I don't want to call it a sermon. A sermonette. Sermonette. Mm. Yes. Where it it's was. It's like a girl version of a sermon. Yeah. <laughs> it's for the ladies. Uh, where it was uh, being diligent to the small things. It's like, you want to say that you would be a great giver. If God would bless me with a million dollars, I would use it for his glory. It's like, shut the fuck up. You wouldn't. Why? Because oh, you got... please tell me you put that in your sermonette. No. <laughs> I was far more polite. I was like, no, you wouldn't. Because even with what you've been given from God, you're not willing to give it to, or use it to serve him. So don't think just because you, if you had more, you'd give more. No, if you can give with less, you will give with more. And so it's this idea. It's like, it's like okay, um, if you wanted to do a deadlift, you're like, okay, I can deadlift 500 if I really wanted to. It's like, no, Oof. you can't. <laughs> you didn't work your way up to it. You yeah. need to exercise that muscle. As you exercise it, as you give, that muscle grows. Same thing with giving. The oh, more you do it. That's a fantastic. That's actually a fantastic mm. analogy. I know. 
<laughs> I, I know. And so I built this sermon. It's like, okay, where's the principle here? What is it trying to say? So I think when you're building a sermon or building something, find something you actually care about and you can use it. Mm. Uh, I like that. Yeah, thank you. It's one of my favorites, actually. Yeah, you exercise it. And, and, and you can work it out. You can take this thought and take it four or five different directions, and you're, you're pushing it towards the grander idea of being a better servant and a better steward of what God has given you and, and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm working out this thought. But if you don't find passion in what you're talking about, it's really hard. Mm. If you don't actually care, you could you? Uh, could a well-trained uh, speaker grab any topic at all and be like, I'm going to talk about this. Do I care about it? No. Could I make a lot of points? And even be valid too. But if you don't care about it in the beginning, yeah, but it's that's really a muscle difficult. Too. That, that's a that's muscle true. too, right? You start yeah. with what you're passionate about and you can work it up to the point where you're able to practice doing it about things that don't spark that inherent yeah. passion and you can work into it. Sorry, I'm too far for the mic. Yeah, but it starts, <laughs> it starts with passion and it starts yeah. with working at it. You need to be able to take the time to be like, Maybe I don't give a fuck, but is there is there some ground here? Is there mm. something that I can pull out of this and, and, and help others? Like forgiveness, like uh, loving your neighbor even when you don't want to, and uh, praying for your leaders. It's really hard to do. It's like, yeah, I've been praying for them, but they're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I didn't see that it's a joke. <laughs> I did not see that one coming. <laughs> I know that somebody's going to be like, they they want they want our leaders dead. I'm like, no, it's a joke. Just calm your tits. <laughs> I said that like four times on the last one too. Maybe We're, I should make a podcast called Calm Your Tits. <laughs> you, you could, but you... Where you, you just try to purely be offensive? <laughs> no, it'd be all about just telling everyone to calm down. <laughs> just, just, just chill. Everyone just smoke a fatty or don't smoke a fatty. Whatever, just... <laughs> I think the world needs to hear chill the fuck out. Yeah. Because, like, it's just right now. Well, it's true. It's it's just this, it's this woke culture around, like, being, a, and, and carrying offense. Like, it's like, how many fucking things can I be offended by today? <clears throat> and still fucking bitch about everything else. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's low-hanging fruit to pick at woke culture for it. Yeah. But, I mean, conservatives do it too, but even that's low-hanging fruit. I mean, let, let's just talk personally. Like... Yeah. Like there's so many people in our day-to-day lives that are having such a hard time of calming their tits (laughs) over lots of different things. And like, who who actually gives a fuck about Bud Light? Honestly. About that or about whatever. It was shitty beer before he was on the can or she or whatever the fuck she wants to be called. Yeah. Thank you. It is. But, but they, they choose this thing. It was like, no, I've got to make, I got to make a statement here. Or people just getting like really upset about like the wrong thing my buddy said to me today. Oh yeah. <laughs> or, you know, or like, I mean, I, I do this crap too. I get myself in a echo chamber of my own thoughts. I work myself up. Yeah. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's over nothing more than a Facebook post <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Right. <laughs> that I want to argue or like it's, I can't just let it go. Yeah. And so we have, we have a whole culture of people that are just super sensitive to input. Yeah, where their 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 uh, sensors are on like just full full high high grade of like oh what can I be mad about and it's like why do I need to be mad why can't I just chill out a little bit maybe yeah. listen and just like is does this really need to take my energy yeah what 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 do I gain 
Like, can I take a moment and can I take a moment and kind of like recenter, calm down, realize that life is actually kind of great, <laughs> you know, and then go from there. Like my son today, right? He, like he had the thing where, you know, our kids were roughhousing in a tent as we were having our fire and you heard like, you know, all of a sudden silence and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, my kid's like, you know, he bumped me in the head, you know, he just got hurt, whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, come out and go for a walk. Yeah. It's like, and he's like, no, I don't want to. It's like, come out, go for a walk. Yeah. It's like, it's like, well, I don't know where my shoes are. Take your socks off and walk in the grass. Like, yeah. just, and Get grounded. Oh. Like how quickly, how quickly his countenance and attitude and focus changed when yeah. he got his head out of the offense, out of the injury and into just experiencing life for what it is in this moment. Yeah. And like, yeah, stop crying, refocus, back to plan, back to having fun. Yeah. I remember, I, I keep trying to tell my kids this. It's like, yeah, I used to get hurt all the time. So I was a young adult, t- teenager, whatever. And uh, I hadn't seen my buddies all summer. And I ran into them like, yo! And we just, I don't know how it happened, but we just started roughhousing. Don't know why. Looking back, I'm like, that was the dumbest thing in the world. Anyway, so we start roughhousing, just like wrestling. And all of a sudden, I get swung over and my face smashed right into a bench and it like busted my nose pretty good and I start bleeding and everyone's like oh mm. oh no and my buddy's like Mike 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 are you okay I'm like mm-hmm, and he's like can you draw a happy face with the blood I'm like yep <laughs> that is fantastic oh my gosh <laughs> to take myself out of that headspace of being angry and like focusing on the pain he's like draw a happy face with the blood with your own with your own <laughs> and blood. so as the blood oh, is dripping out of my face I'm like drawing a happy face on the ground <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never heard that before uh, oh that would have been 2004. Uh, 2003, 2004. Oh man. Like that's, that's something that a guy needs to remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember. I told my kid, I tell my kids about that story. Cause I'm <laughs> like, dude, you're, you're fine. Whatever, whatever you're going through. Like it's a flesh wound. It's a flesh wound. <laughs> Just but a flesh You'll wound. You'll be fine. <laughs> Cause uh, most of my time it, the rule is there's no blood. You're fine. And yeah. then they start bleeding. I'm like, shit, it's, you're still fine. Just calm down. <laughs> that was my grandpa's famous line. Are you, are you bleeding? No. Okay, it's a flesh wound. You're okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He just spiked me in the head with a hammer by accident, but I'm okay. Oh, I've seen a couple Don't of those. Don't shut the fuck up now. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a couple of those videos recently. Oh, they're bad. A couple sledgehammer videos where this person's like, I don't know. One oh, the guy one where he's holding the pin bar <laughs> and he swings for the pin bar and he's like, bing, right in the face. Yeah, oh, I see he moved and he got a full sledge right to the frontal, like just that's not like a two pound sledge either no that was like a 20 10 10 or 20 it was it was terrifying like i i I switched as soon as i realized what i saw you know how some videos you can watch a couple times you're like oh that that's pretty crazy (laughs) that one i couldn't watch it again i flay i switched right past it i'm like nope no i don't want to re-see that one uh but as somebody that's been hit in the head quite a few times like it's not that Fuck. bad. It's not like, that bad, but that would be bad. Honestly, like if I was to get hit with something, I would probably want it to be a sledge because it's a pretty flat face. Like it, it it's got oh, some yeah. force behind it, but like if it doesn't crack your skull or whatever, like yeah, as long it's as just it's, it's just going to be a lump, maybe a little bit of a hematoma. Yeah. 
fucking walk it off, right? Yeah. But like something pointier, like fucking oh, yeah. just like rips your like. Yeah. Like you probably got little bony ass fists. Like those little f- people with little hands and fast hands. That shit fucking hurts. They get little bony knuckles in your fucking eyeball. Hey, you you got some stopping power in your hands. I, was, I felt <laughs> it. So Mike's original ring name when he was doing MMA was <laughs> was called the Antler for that very reason. Because yeah. they're like trying trying to fight. He was like trying to fight an antler. Yeah, a bag of antlers. This guy. <laughs> I had bag, I had a, sorry, I a had bag a, of antlers. I had a coach kick me and he got hurt. <laughs> like. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's little pointy, little pointy parts. Little pointy parts. All the PSI goes in one little spot. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. That rips you open too. Like yeah. Sharp elbows. I think you would have been great in bare knuckle fighting. <laughs> Fuck that. Oh yeah. No, I've, you would have ruled some that. Of it. It's it's terrifying. Yeah. Take away the blunt force impact and go for cutting, and I think you would have been very. <laughs> Yeah. I've, I've I've gone against some great boxers and they they can they can telegraph my punches. Like I remember I was doing this thing and my co- the coach that I was working with at the time he's like you're about to throw a punch. Like you would tell me what I'm about to because he could just feel it and he's mm. like he just drop his mitt because you're supposed to be doing the focus pads right. Mm. And he want he doesn't want to telegraph it. He 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 wants to it to snap quicker. And I was telegraphing so bad that he was just drop his mitt. He's like you're about to throw. Mm. Like I I can move my hands faster and I'm like. Shit, like I am not, there are some phenomenal boxers out there that they can snap it fast enough that you're not going to have time to move your hands. And I'm like, that's, that's what I would love to be. But So here's a controversial thought. What's that? Fucking Mayweather. What are your thoughts on Floyd Mayweather? Uh, Tyson says he's, Tyson, well, Tyson said that basically like, cause there's people that claim like Mayweather is pound for pound, the greatest fighter ever. Fuck that. Bullshit. No. Like. He's a, Pacquiao's way better. Well, in my in, in their weight division, Ortega, uh, uh, Tiago Ortega, doesn't he have like a hundred and some fights? Probably, because like Tyson was comparing him to a, a boxer that like went seventy eight straight fights undefeated, <clears throat> lost a fight, did a, like another ninety some fights straight okay. undefeated. So he lost one fight in his entire career. Yes, but the problem is that. By the numbers. If you're looking at the numbers, Mayweather's a better fighter because he's a defensive fighter. He's constantly, he's, he's a counter-striker and he's constantly waiting. He's, if, you, if you are going to connect on him, he's going to connect back. Like, he is defensive by the numbers. Looking at it that way, if you're playing by, like, a point system, mm. is he actually the best fighter? No. If he, I, on paper, yes. In actuality, I don't think he's as good. I I don't like his fighting style. Yeah, me so, neither. But not liking a guy's fighting style is different than them being great. Yeah, I know. But it's, like when I just... when I want to process like the greatest fighter ever, I want to think of like the Nick Diaz mentality. Like, you want to fucking fight? Let's fight. Yeah. I don't give a fuck who you are. We'll fight right now. Yeah. You want to fight out there in the parking lot? We can do it in the bathroom. We can yes. hop out in the porta potty. We can go for a walk around the block. I'll fucking fight y'all. Yeah. I mean, that's, the, that's a fair point. You but can choose whether or not we're getting paid to do this or yeah. we can fucking do this. Yeah. Like that's a yeah. fucking fighter to me, but right? Like, ra- rarely is the people's champion the actual champion. <laughs> it's it's one of those things, right? Like the the kind of guy that, that captures people's hearts and is like blood and guts. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do mm. it. Very rarely is the guy that goes the distance to be like the guys that just have like these prestigious records mm. and stuff like that. And it's not like those guys that have those prestigious. Uh, they're not. They're, they're fighting these hardcore guys. Yeah. They're beating them though. Mm. <laughs> they're just in a way that is boring. Okay. But and they're still beating them. There's no unfair rule advantage. It's 
legit beating. Yes, but I, I think the worry is that it becomes a lot like the GSP Anderson Silva aspect of these guys who are just, they stop being entertaining. Hmm. For a long time, you can have these, these really great fights. GSP was boring for a while. Yeah, fucking laying Anderson side Silva, Anderson Silva was boring for a while because hmm. it didn't feel like he was fighting anybody. And I think that's what Mayweather was getting to is like, he was just, he's just boring. And does that make you a great fighter? Maybe. Yeah, there's a good chance. Does that make you entertaining? No. And that's where I don't... And I think being a great fighter has to do with being both entertaining and... But but, but people don't want to see you lose. You could be entertaining as fuck, but hmm. part of being entertaining is sometimes losing. Taking risks that don't pay off. And people are like, oh, well, he's not the best because he lost. It's like, no, maybe he was good because he was both entertaining and good. But, oh, in order to be great, you need to be boring. Maybe that's what it is. And people are unwilling to do that because they're being pushed by promoters to be entertaining at the same time. It's like, you better put on a good show or we're not going to bring you back. I don't care if you win. We're not going to bring you back. So you need to be both. You need to be like, um, what's his fucking name? The fucking Irish fuck. Oh, McGregor? McGregor. Captain McJuicy McJuicerton? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he was he was entertaining for a minute. Oh, yeah. And then... He started losing because started. he was... He, because, again, you got to be both. You got to try and be great <clears throat> and entertaining at the same time. Mm, entertaining yeah. takes risk. And, yes, he was entertaining. And, you, and ne- at no point was he boring. I guess I, I'm very contradicting yeah. statement. I realize mm. that. <laughs> but uh, I just he, he became more show than go. Yeah, way more show than. What are your thoughts on like somebody like Khabib? Like Khabib, not the best ever. He, but he, there was nobody that even fucking fought him. Like, there's nobody that went the distance. He would just come in there, fucking smash him out. Yeah, and throw him around like they're a fucking rag doll. But would you put him in the greatest ever? Because he just dropped out way too early. He he was good. He was very good. But was he the greatest ever? I don't think he had enough. So. I think you know, and we're, and that's the thing is, we'll never fucking know with somebody yeah. like that, right? Because like it's, to it's, get him back in the cage, I think it's going to either take some mythical beast coming out of nowhere <laughs> that and just being has this a, just like just running through guys, just well, like, and, and it would have to irk him. Yeah, yeah. You, you, and couldn't, then you couldn't just, like, just get fuck Dagestan. You know what I mean? Like just <laughs> yeah. screaming that, fingering him, and like wearing like. Yeah, but he would, okay. he would still he but would at, still be passive the, on that. At the same point, do you think with a guy like him? Maybe he had an insight, like, now's the time to bow out because yeah. I can keep going and I can keep dominating, but people are going to call me, people are just going to say I'm, uh, I'm I'm just boring forever. And, like, if I keep having the same fights that I'm having, yeah, even though this is what's working and this is how I fight, yeah, it's like people are going, like, it's, like, he the didn't, magic's he didn't al- He didn't allow anyone to get his number. He, he just kind of, like, No, no, looked. no, not allow, like, it's just being like, now's the time to go. Otherwise, I'm actually going to do more damage to my legacy. Um, yeah. I then, think he, if his dad didn't die, I think he would have kept going. Yeah, but, okay, look, okay, here's a perfect example. GSP had some boring fights, a lot of boring fights. Mm-hmm. Was his legacy tarnished? Or do you look back and be like, oh, yeah, he lost some bad fights. But he won some great fights. And then when he came back, he came back for one fight and then kind of, he it added to his legacy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you yeah, don't like, remember I, him for his shit fights, which he had a few. You well, remember def- him for- There was even fights where he got the victory and he didn't fucking win that fight. Yeah. He defended because yeah. he's a champion has got to defend. All you got, you don't have to win. Exactly, you just got to right? defend. So really it's results. Yeah. Results is what makes you great. 
Yeah. And and that, but longevity and, has something to do with yeah. it too. Yeah. Okay. And, and I it, don't think that's what we had with okay. Khabib. So in, in that, mm. back to Mayweather, results, longevity, mm-hmm. boom, <laughs> right? Yeah, lacking entertainment because well, that's the thing. GSP still lost sometimes, and it was entertaining. But that was only at the beginning. Yeah, that's mm. true. And then he, right? he like once he, he ascended, once he and, ascended to mythical GSP legacy. Like it got there, boring. Like there was none of that. Yeah. And the only time when he had that hunger back was when he came back for the Bisbing for, fight for Bisbing's belt. Oh, that's fucking right? great. Like fight. that, that was, was a hun- fun fight. That was the hungriest GSP we saw since he got the title back from from Sarah. Yeah, the biggest and slowest too. <laughs> he was so slow in that fight compared to his, his other fights. But he's old. Oh, he was he's older and much bigger. Much I'm bigger. Like, oh. Back from years of of yeah. retirement. It's weird seeing him with hair now. Yeah. Like you're like, he looks very douchey in French. Yeah. He looks like a douchey Frenchman. Yeah. (laughs) So blonde. I I don't, it looks like he dyes it. That's the thing. I don't know if that's his actual hair. That has to be blonde dye. Yeah. That's M&M peroxide, baby. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I'm uh, I'm just like, uh, why, why, why do you got to dye it? Is it gray? I don't know. I think if you're old and French and rich, you have to be eccentric. Yeah. It's, this, this it's, is pro, it's the MO. It's what you got to do. <laughs> but yeah, when it comes to Mayweather, he's making his money. He's doing what he's got. He, he's he's running off the name. He's doing what he's got. I respect it. I think. Well, if, simultaneously, I don't <clears throat> think that's okay. what you makes know what? him great. If if anybody, so many fighters had an opportunity to prove him not to be great, oh, none yeah. of them could get the job done. No. I, but, I think but, if you think of it like that, you're like, okay, yeah. I disagree. It. I think Pacquiao put it. I think Pacquiao got it done. I do. Watching he, Pacquiao fight, it was a good fight. Pacquiao should have had that. But he didn't. <laughs> but didn't he? he? Didn't. Dude, there, there fucking, was controversy in the, the in the, combat sports. Fucking judges, like they become the third <sighs> man in the ring. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, you just seeing it so much. I watched a UFC card, uh, not that long ago. And some of the fights, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Did oh, you yeah. watch the same fucking you fight I just seen? You can't let it go to the judges. Like. You, you can't. That, that, and that's the downside of the judges because they're using a system that's not made for MMA. They're yeah. using a boxing system in MMA. And I know it's, it's like capitalism. It's, it's not the best, but it's the best we have. Yeah. Let's okay. just bring, let's just start negating fucking rounds and you fight till you fucking yeah, fight. Yeah, just keep going like, just until somebody go. fucking gives pride up. Pride rules. There has to be, like, I love pride rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but okay, so I've been playing the devil's advocate here. Do I think Mayweather is the all-time goat? No, because I love a good brawler. And I'm like, I love old, I, lo- I, like, I love prime Mike Tyson fights. I'm like, I can't imagine anybody on the planet Have you seen, beating. what's his name, Tyson Fury? Yeah, Fucking yeah. monster. That oh, guy's yeah. fun. He got knocked out, knocked out, woke up at eight seconds, and got up and, and then. fucking <laughs> annihilated him. He's like, like, like he never went down. I'm like, oh, that guy. <laughs> Do you know what? Like, honestly, like people are gonna probably think this is fucked up, but I, like, my favorite fighter of all time is Canadian. Which one? George Chavalo. I'm not familiar. Not George Chavala, he was the Canadian champ. He went 12 rounds with Tyson, went home and drank beer. Or not with Tyson, with Ali. Oh, he okay. Fought, so he fought okay, Ali. So. And one of the... Fe- yeah, like, that's legendary. He, <laughs> of course, he's Canadian. He's like, I'm going to go have dude, a beer. Dude, he went his entire career and not once did he leave his feet. 
an entire boxing career and fought Ali, fought like some great fighters. So he lost by points then. Lost by points. Fucking points. That's why you just got to keep going. Cement head. He was literally like, that was his nickname was cement head. Yeah. Like in that era of boxing too, it's just like to, to have that kind of like that clout, like nobody knocked me off my feet. Yeah. Not a fucking man lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, you went with some of the greatest fighters. Oh yeah. That'd make for great bar, bar side stories, right? Yeah. He, oh. he, what a, what a tragic story his life is. Oh, like he lost two sons to addiction and now he kind of just travels around to high schools talking about addictions. Like he's a huge advocate for, yeah. for keeping kids off drugs. So not only yeah. was he a great man in the ring, he was a great man afterwards. That's Through awesome. some tragic, tragic circumstances. Isn't that what builds a man? It's the tragedy that he, that he, he lives with and survives through. Like it. Suffering is so key to our existence. Oh yeah. Like, I really think that it forges, like, if you can overcome, not even just overcoming, because sometimes there's things shit you just can't overcome just because. It's enduring. It's enduring those, those times of hardship, those times of like, basically the world completely shitting on you. Yeah, but okay. Now let's say hypothetically you're a well-balanced individual. He doesn't, um, go into addiction, doesn't go into, uh, that kind of dependency, I do believe that unless you take on some kind of suffering, you will lack the growth that comes with it. So depth. It, it, you lack complete depth. So if you're like, oh, I never had a drug problem. It's like, yeah, but emotionally you're unstable. You have nothing to grind up against. And that's why I think things like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are so, so great. Or just having something that's really difficult to allow you to to grind and, and to be suck allow you to suck and be like okay i can be better people need that you need to suck at something yeah so yeah what's the thing that you jujitsu i fucking suck at it (laughs) 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 i get i get my ass handed to me and i've been doing it for years what's the thing though that's prompted you to be better Uh, at the thing that you sucked at uh Honestly, well, there's, there's two things. One, my children and, and, and wanting them to learn it and to grow and to, you know, learn how to grind a little bit. I didn't, my dad never had that for me. We wrestled as kids, but we didn't, we didn't learn to fight. I didn't know how to throw a punch. My kids are going to know how to throw a fucking punch. And, uh, to also to have the growth. I have grown. Can I tap people out? Yeah, sometimes. There, there are moments where I get to teach guys, and I've, I've had people come up to me, and they're like, hey, what belt are you? And I'm like, I'm a white belt. And they're like, no, you're not. No, <laughs> you're not. And then I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I've never been belted, so technically I'm a white belt. It's like, oh, you're an MMA white belt. <laughs> <laughs> you're an MMA white. Don't trust an MMA white. Doesn't know. Because these guys that are very good, very strong, very tall, they're great, great, great guys, but they're having a hard time with me and I'm, I'm not technically belted. And they're like, oh, oh no, you, you have something to teach. You have something to learn. Like I can learn something from you, even though that 
even I'm, though you're he, a white he's, belt. He's a blue belt or, a, or they're like, much higher in that. I like that mentality of being able to be like, yes, you rank below me in mm-hmm. all technical aspects, but I have something to learn from you. Yeah. Like that's, that's a great mentality. And, and being able to teach that and be like, okay, you, you just haven't grinded yeah. like well, I have. Rather than be like, well, I'm a blue belt. I'm better than that, everybody. That's something that's really beautiful about jujitsu is like, it doesn't really matter what lef- level you're at. Like, Somebody else that maybe hasn't trained as long, but just like, I've seen girls just guy like, oh, whatever, you got a purple belt being like, oh, it's just a girl. <laughs> she's a green, like a, a yellow, girl. You know what I mean? And then just all of a sudden she's like, got him and she's like, <laughs> Peruvian necktie. And it's just like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Like jujitsu really levels the, f- the playing field sometimes when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Just because it's like, there's some people that just like. They're, Their they're, brain functions in that realm, right? Yeah, it's built a little differently. and But it's part of that grind. It's part of that suffering. It's like, I'm sorry, everyone has expected less of me for a long time. <laughs> and I, I, I will not, I don't expect that of myself. And so, yeah, choosing suffering. Yeah. And so even even if it's psychological, if it's like I choose to go into the depths of hell with the way I think, or not the way I think, but uh, but my thought so that I can come I can ascend out of it and be like, okay, I've seen the worst that the world that, that the world has to offer, and I, yeah. I know that comes out of it. Like, uh, there can be growth there. So I'm gonna push back a little bit. Do it. Do you think that's really suffering? Like, Psychological, no, like no, 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 the no, mental or the, the physical? Which which okay. part? Just jujitsu. Going to a safe environment where everybody is looking oh. out for your best interest to practice wrestling. Is that suffering when that same word suffering is used to describe, you know, people who survive the most awful and heinous things in history or life or uh, abuse or... Degrees. There, there, uh, I do believe in degrees of suffering. Yeah. But I mean, like, if yeah, somebody... Suffering subdu- can be relative. Let, right? let's, yeah. let's, say, let's say somebody is I listening to this podcast right now and they'd be like, like, no, like, I passed out in a house fire and came out with no skin left. Yeah. Uh, don't talk to me about fucking suffering because somebody tapped you in jujitsu. <laughs> like, I mean, like, where do we balance this word? Being like, you all need to suffer in order to have a good, yeah. white, okay, a good, all right, you I, know, upstanding uh, middle class life where you're really <laughs> successful, and somebody who really suffers is like, the fuck did you yeah. just say okay. to me? Okay, <laughs> all right, yeah, I hear you. Yes, that then that's why I, I I earnestly say there whatever suffering that I have is nothing compared to the suffering of many. Honestly, I, I, I do believe that there are people out there that are actually suffering. So when the, when I meet people that are all woe is me, it's like, shut the fuck up. And that's why you won't hear me say woe is me. I'll never say, Oh, I'm really suffering in jujitsu. It's like, no, this is the time of my life. I'm having a great time. Like it sucks. It hurts. My knees hurt. My elbows hurt. But this is the greatest sound of my life. Do you think maybe a better word than is challenge? <laughs> then. No, because you could you could use that as a, like, oh, no, God's presented this challenge to you. It's like, no, this that's actual suffering. And that's why I, it's it's how you go through it, right? It, even, uh, there are Holocaust survivors out there who have come out of it and been like, no, life is shit. I've been through some horrible stuff, but I'm going to continue But it on. was nothing compared to getting my blue belt, so. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I didn't I'm say being, that. I'm being a purposeful dick right now. <laughs> <laughs> but 
they they don't allow that to dictate how they're going to act on the data. They, they're not going to come back. It's like I was in the Holocaust. Yes. No, they're going to be like I, my people, and I have suffered greater than any other generation, and they choose life. And so, yeah, it's these people that are chronically depressed and it's like I'm so sad. It's like, dude, get out of your own head. Yeah, quit being a fucking Eeyore. Mm-hmm. Just do something hard. Do something that sucks. Go see people that actually suffer. Like, you remember when we went to Mexico? There was those kids, and they saw an iPhone like it was the greatest thing in the world. Oh, yeah. They're like, what the fuck? They were like, what the fuck is that? And Cool. <laughs> and and you're like, 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 this is my phone. It's in my is, pocket all the time. This is, uh, I, I just brought it out because I don't remember yeah. why, but these kids just thought it was really cool. And, like, people that actually have nothing. And we were like, oh, yeah, we are the lowest 1%. It's like, no, you are of the highest 1%. Everything that you think is so horrible, I'm sorry, you have a bed that's warm and you have food in your fridge? Shut the fuck up. Honestly, go see some people that are actually suffering. Get out of your own space. Get out of your own area. Go see some real suffering, and you'll be like, "I am blessed beyond blessed." That's I like uh, we I should we should totally go back down to Vicente Guerrero and be like, "But you guys, have you guys tried jujitsu?" <laughs> <laughs> it would really grind your gear. Like, it's sorry, great. <laughs> I can't. Hey, like I said, you got to choose some suffering. <laughs> I'm in dick mode right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, you were about to say something. Like. I had a friend uh, talking to, like, going over to Africa, and, you know, like, you hear, like, so often people, like, it was a life-changing trip and stuff, but, like, I think it's super important that we try to expand our worldview, because, like, obviously, like, we're so, we're we're products of our our experience. Like, we can't really understand that which we haven't experienced. Like, we can read about shit, but, like, you don't understand it until you've experienced it. Mm -hmm. Like, like that, like... Through our Western mindset, it, it, like, you know, like, we have created this culture around, like, depression and all these other things that, like, it's just, just, like, another word. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm tired. I'm depressed. Are you? Or are you just being a whiny little bitch? Like, give your nuts a tug and fucking step up. But my bike didn't start. <laughs> <laughs> That is actually something to be fucking upset about. (laughs) Yeah. On that note, like earlier today we were talking about this idea of like our kids being so melodramatic, like have an amazing day full of family, full of fun (laughs) and adventures. friends, motorcycles. You know, they get into an argument. They get to an argument. Literal ice cream. You deny them something right before bed. It's like, no, it's bedtime. It's like, worst day ever. I hate you. (laughs) Melodrama. Yeah. And I was like, oh, damn it. I just did that. You did that that on Sunday. On yeah, last Sunday, coming back from the bike blessing where we went, like, you know, when my chrome was growing orange. Riding into fire. <laughs> yeah, so we, we had this amazing weekend with our brothers and stuff like that, and just, it, it was such a great time. Yeah. And on the way home, I was like, all right, let's do this, you know, riding home, another couple hours of, of wind therapy time. I was stoked. And then we're going, 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 and about an hour into the drive, just as we were crossing the Alberta-BC border, I feel my bike go, pop, 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 pop. You know, and like stutter. I'm like, what was that? And then did it again. And then it did it again until the point where it just wouldn't, it was unrideable. So I idled it into a gas station in the middle of nowhere. And I'm just like, bike broke down. Piece of shit. (laughs) I was. Set it on fire. I set it on fire. I was ready to kick it over. 
And my wife, like, she was behind. Uh, she went to Grand Prairie earlier than I did, so she was following me. She came there. It's like, all right, like, let's just, you know, we can't get it going. It's about to start pouring right now. We can't do anything about it. Just we'll come get it tomorrow, hop in the truck, and we'll go home. So we did that. And I was black cloud the whole way. <laughs> I was fucking pissed. Like, I had a headache from how hard I was furrowing my brows, my eyebrows. <laughs> and I, I was like. You just spent all that money on a new battery, too. Yeah. Yeah, we put it. <laughs> so new- angry. And my wife was like, maybe it's a loose connection because you just put a brand new battery in and that's the last thing to happen to it before this this happened. I was like, shut up. <laughs> just like, <laughs> nope, not hearing it. It's a problem with the engine or the carbur- carburetors are fucked. Stators fucked. Yeah, loose wire jap shit wiring. I was like, I was I was like on the way home while driving. I'm looking at Kijiji and Facebook Marketplace being like, <laughs> just like what wonder if I can pull off that bike. What if I can pull that? <laughs> so we go pick it up the next day, you and I. Yeah. And we turn the key on. Sure as shit. No lights. I'm like, oh, it's electrical. And then, oh, it's electrical. I know what it is. My wife was right. She was right. It was. She doesn't listen. Don't worry. It was the She's battery. not listening. <laughs> the positive terminal on my battery was loose and it lost connection. That's why it died. There was nothing wrong with the bike. Yeah. And it's, it just shocked me of how hard that threw me. And I was like, I was in full depression mode mm. based on something that didn't matter and wasn't an issue. We went and got it the next day. We The next day. We, we literally were... like finger tightened it because a tool didn't fit. And then it connected and we were able to ride it all the way home. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> how retarded am I that that is what spun me into an existential crisis. Yeah. <laughs> like a full existential crisis. I don't even know who I am anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it was like prayers to God and heaven and <laughs> anger and, and you, you, hours spent on Facebook marketplace you and love stressing, that bike. And, you stressing about You love that bike. Oh, I do. I know because this is the second time you bought one like it. <laughs> and And if you did sell it, you would be looking for another one in two years. Yeah, you literally called me to see if I still had that one. <laughs> yeah, I want more. I want I more. <laughs> not but, for uh, this situation, but yeah, well, the, thing, the thing is, I'm like, if I get another piece of shit version of this, I want to have, I want to have it. You want to? I want to have it aesthetically modular, where like I have a whole set of rims and tins that are a whole different color than mine. Even yeah. if the engine is total shit on the one I get, I could just be like, I'm just gonna bolt on that and pull it on, and have a whole new looking bike in a matter of minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Like, um, have we never thought of having modular tins? It's a thing, I think. Like, just having multiple set of tins for the same motorcycle of different colors. I've so thought you, about... I've, so you could just change your whole look of your bike in minutes. I have thought about buying another VTX and just grabbing all the parts that I like off this one and moving them to the next one. There you go. <laughs> just be like, Here's I'm just going to keep buying more <laughs> VTXs. Yeah, that's like an iPhone. You're locked into the system. Yeah, I, ha- I have. I ran into a guy today, and he had the uh, VTX 1800. So I got the 13. And I keep saying that the 18 sounds like shit. And most... Oh, you got that crack right in the mic. Uh, most guys who who ride the uh, 1800, they, they won't openly admit that it sounds like shit. Where I'm like, I'm like, which one is this, the 13 or the 18? Because I didn't get to hear it. I didn't see the bike. I didn't get to spend any time near it. 
And then I'm like, is this the 13 or the 18? And he's like, oh, the 18. I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the sound. He's like, oh, it sounds so bad. And he affirmed everything that I was saying. Oh, he's an honest man. (laughs) I'm like, ah, good. But it wasn't his, it was one of his bikes. Apparently he had like three bikes there and he just let friends ride them. So I'm like, oh, he just has multiple (laughs) bikes kicking around. Yeah. Not like John's with like. Oh, janky, Cletus. Janky farm parts. Welded onto his exhaust. That was Cletus because he's got the the whistle. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, I forgot about that. It so, was yeah. so fucking. It's our, it's our it's our buddy uh, John Bigfoot. Love you, buddy. I know. You, <laughs> Your I know. Bike you sounds like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he had he had put on this like kind of like open exhaust onto it, but it never fit correctly. <laughs> and so there's it literally whistles. At, points when he revs it. he's got a bolt going through the middle. Exactly. <laughs> so I started calling it Cletus because it sounded like a one-tooth yokel talking <laughs> through the gap in his teeth. Oh, that... Oh. Could you imagine him on the 1300? Mm-mm. Like, do you think he could do over 100 with no. him on there? Well, he, would, he could do 100, he would but dwarf he'd like, it. Like, he, he's like, what, he's like, like seven foot five? He's <laughs> a fucking he, mountain. He came down to the coast and uh, Brian let him use his street glide. So just your run-of-the-mill street glide. Yeah, it's just, just, just regular. Everyone. It looked every- like a fucking polar bear riding a tricycle. <laughs> like, how how can you survive being that tall? That's why I need the How many calories must you take to maintain that size of body mass? Like. And he's not a small boy. He's, I'm not saying he's not fat. No, no, no. He's making not. Clear, he's not fat. When I he's say a he's just not. a humongous human he's being. He's a yeah. really big he's, dude. He's, he's, he's a well-toned well for yeah, his size. Well-toned. He's a good-looking man. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm jealous. Yeah, very <laughs> jealous. Yes. The things that I could do if I looked like, like Bigfoot. <laughs> like Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> the women Just not Bigfoot Silva. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fucking yes. shovel no, like Neanderthal like our, like our brother John. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking of Silva. He's got that big forehead. Yes. His attractiveness is wasted on a man with as much character as him. <laughs> he is a phenomenal man. I I am jealous of his character, his integrity, and his height. Like, just, he's got, brother, if you're listening, you got it all. Uh, You are blessed. Except for a stupid sounding bike. (laughs) Annoying. (laughs) Cletus, the one tooth motorcycle. (laughs) It's so bad. (laughs) Buy buy the proper exhaust. Just get the Manson Hines, Cobra. Just saying. Just saying. I love you. If but he, would the 1800 still sound like shit? It would still sound like shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it wouldn't have a whistle. It wouldn't, <laughs> but it, but, but it, it wouldn't have whistle. a whistle. Now, now, the problem, the only reason it has it doesn't have the sputter. It's a well-tuned, well-engineered motorcycle. The problem with well-engineered is consistent. It's It's like you want a fucking generator, just get a fucking generator. It's constantly, it's solid, it's great, but it sounds like shit. If you want something with a little bit of character, a little bit of class, a little bit of soul, yeah. I disagree. To it, I disagree. Because How's there that? is there is plenty of motorcycles that don't have that sputter timing that sound great, like like a Ducati, for example. Oh, but that's that's a different monster. <clears throat> well, I mean, look, let's say like the Ducati Diablo, right? Like, yeah, there's one in GP for sale, by the yeah, way. I saw it in front of you. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a it's a twelve hundred cc like monster like that makes like 160 horsepower but like when you put when you put an acropophic exhaust on it it sounds like a sports car 
Like it's like it's 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 gonna it's like a, your it's a tiger out. that's gonna eat your face off, and it <laughs> sounds great. I don't know why that VTX eighteen hundred has none. It has none of that, and it's got the bore to do it. Oh, that's, it just that's like, what really irritates me. It, yeah, it's, it's got, got the bore. It's got none of that like you, sexiness to it. It just sounds like a nobody, Volkswagen. Do you think that nobody built the exhaust to actually sound good on there? Because that that is a big part of the problem. Is that the, the exhaust that you're putting on there? It just never grabs the 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 CCs that are there and yeah, amplifies it them. It doesn't have that boom yeah. that you feel like it should for an 1800cc engine. Yeah. The thing is, I've heard people argue that the sound that you're getting out of some of these motors is spent power. And since it doesn't have spent power, it's, it's, it's too efficient is why it doesn't sound as good. I mean, to a degree, that works. Like, say, yeah. like, like a BMW. Like, that sounds like a sewing machine, but it makes plenty of efficient power. Yes. But it's like, yeah. like it's, it's so There's even no keeled. pops. There's no... <sighs> Not like a rotor. There's no waste. <laughs> oh, fuck, I hate rotors. You, you hate that sound? I hate rotary oh. motors. I'm sorry. It's mostly because you can't be... <sighs> what's, what's the phrase? You can't calm down. It's just, it's high rev all the time yeah. for what it is. It shouldn't be a street car. I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's, it's, I, a, it's I would like agree, a race I would car. agree with that. I know, yeah, but absolutely. It, it, leave it for the races. Like, mm. it'd be like, I, I'm glad that it exists. It doesn't need to be on the streets. It's mm. a wait. It's yeah. wasted on the streets. Like, well, like a, like a, like a two stroke, like a two stroke motorcycle, right? Yeah. Like. That's wasted on the streets. Like you need to be having that on the racetrack, where you can have it at top end RPMs all the time. Yeah, and the, and the tons of power, really great, really glad they exist. But should they be at every single track all the time? I don't enjoy it. It's so much work. There's so much going on. It's mm. so fucking ostentatious. Look at me. I'm the greatest thing that ever happened to motors, and you're not. It's. It, it reminds me of that poster. You're talking about the rotary. Yes, it rem- oh, well, the and the two-stroke, but it reminds me of that poster of the guy biting the metal, and he's like in sixth place. <laughs> it reminds me of that at Motors. He's like this, like this is the greatest thing ever. It's like fuck, he, he, he calm down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're great. You're you're you are good, but you're nowhere near the top of the podium here. <laughs> so that that's the way I feel about uh, the rotary motor. Yeah, how did we get from like? Rotary motors to existential crisis and us being giant crybabies all the time. I that was that was a, that was an impressive divergence. <laughs> <laughs> Our whole culture is full of whiny fucking crybabies, especially Kickstand. But the rotary motor <laughs> shit is what we need to talk about. I love it. I'm here for it. I am. Uh, how did we get here? I can't even remember. I think man. we were talking about John. Yes, we were talking about John and his stupid sounding bike. The yeah, super how did fast. How get to the stupid bike? I don't remember how we got here. <laughs> nope, I don't remember at all. That's why people are along for the conversation. We didn't actually have a plan for this conversation. <laughs> we're just hanging it out. It shows, yeah. <laughs> it always does. Yeah. I mean, I did have a topic that I wanted to talk to you about. Did Did you want to save it for the AC? Or did you want... We can do it twice. I kind of... Like, yeah, I kind of wanted to save it for the for the AC because I need I need to bogart some content for that. Oh, oh, but but we could do it twice. 
one, so people listen to the AC, which will be polished and pretty and fucking annoying. <laughs> you can share it with your grandma. You can share it with your grandma. But this also hits two people that might be listening to this. Yeah. So we can do it twice, and it allows you to uh, polish your, I don't want to say sermon, <laughs> but your 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 uh, intellectual uh, stimulation. Go, th- go through it twice. you go through it and actually, okay, what do I actually think about we'll, this? We'll go through the raw, unfiltered time, and then the one we're like, okay. Uh, hello, everybody. Here's where we hit it right. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Amateur Christian Podcast, where we'll be talking to Nigel about his... <laughs> Sorry, I just had to. Mimic. That's totally how the amateur Christmas podcast sounds. Hundred percent, nailed, nailed it. All right, so I, I'll be sitting on the sidelines on that one. I won't be in it. <laughs> oh gosh, I wanted to ask you. Um, okay, so a year ago we had you on the BCP. Yep, and that was kind of fresh after you know, like your your beginning of your summer of freedom after going through Teen Challenge and stuff like that. I think you had been yep. through some shit too. Some shit. Yeah, my mom yeah, just died. Your mom yep. just died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here we are a year later, and now that's your employment. Yeah. Is is Teen Challenge and stuff like that. And you have a very unique <laughs> position <laughs> where you have been both kind of an inpatient as well as counselor in both a very secular treatment uh, addiction treatment facility and program. And a very Christian one. And so I was interested in the differences, what you see as pros and cons to 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 either or options mm-hmm. and kind of where you're at with with uh, how you feel about that as as somebody who is now a counselor for people going through addiction in a Christian center. Mm. You know, there's definitely things I miss, like the secular environment, especially the center that I went through was like, I would probably say about 90% to 95% people in the judicial system. So were bailed out to the center, um, had upcoming court cases, whatever, right? Like even myself, when I was there, I was facing trafficking charges. So um, kind of I did, I wasn't, I wasn't forced to be there. I chose to be there because right? I was like, fuck. I was looking at 10 years in jail and I was like, fuck, I need to, like, this sucks. So you were saying 90% of the people that you were dealing with were people being forced to be there that would rather be doing something else. Absolutely. So you're still getting that perpetuation of, like, the jail mentality. It's just basically a little bit different. You could smoke cigarettes there. And, like, there's some aspects that I really kind of do miss. Like, I slapped the shit out of about four or five students, right? Oh, really? <laughs> home students or other clients, right? Like I had this big, like, I don't know. He was like maybe six foot three, got up in my face and I just boom, open hand, slap him across the face. I'm like, sit down. And like, just like, you know what I mean? Like I, I would probably say that your hands, I could imagine <laughs> that's like if the Mike like Tyson, everybody's hands. got a plan to like get punched in the face. <laughs> and that's with a lot of people that is like through the experience of my life, 90 people, I would say the vast majority of people that are aggressive, it's fear-based. And, and like, as somebody that's been in some like actual dangerous situations, like guns, knives, like some serious shit going down, you begin to learn to read people Mm -hmm. like it, whether you can tell people that are crazy and want to kill you because they don't talk a lot, the vast majority. Um, and they they'll just do it. Yeah. Like they don't need to tell you what they're going to do. They just fucking do it. 
And so somebody who's trying to scare you does yeah. a lot of talking or does a lot of. Yeah, because they're scared inside. So like they're <clears throat> trying to create intimidation so that they don't actually have to do this. I see. So with the vast majority, and generally it only takes me about a split second, me looking you in the eyes. And as soon as your mouth opens, I can tell you, I can generally get at least some sort of read on you. And listen, I have no problem slapping. I don't give a fuck. Big, tall, small, I'll fucking slap y'all. Punch you. I don't, I don't give a fuck. Like there's, there's nothing I have to lose. I've been beat up. I've been like, I've never been stabbed or anything, but like taking some pretty serious fucking beatings, like steel toed my face in like most people it's like aggressive people are, are fucking scared as fuck. So they're trying to make this in this imprint of intimidation right off the bat. And cause like, it's, it's in hopes that they don't actually have to prove their aggression. It's absolutely. Cause like portray tr- aggression, true violent people will just, a lion doesn't need to tell you a lion. It just bites your fucking head off. Like, and that's, and that, that <clears throat> corresponds like into the jailhouse mentality. Like the people that are serious players in jail don't got to tell you they're serious players. They're generally the nicest, most respectful people. But as soon as there is disrespect in, in whatever capacity, they don't fucking tell you they're going to punch you. They just fucking reach across the table and give you a poke in the lips. And then that, that they don't have to say anything. Like there's generally not even a word. It's just a whack. Now, I have a slight question. I don't want to divert, obviously, but I, I do have a question when it comes to uh, prisons as a deterrent. You were looking to not go to prison, obviously, but no jail how, sucks. Uh, how how much does this suck? Like, there's some people who say like this is all they know, so they, they're they're fine with going back. But for you, you were like, no, fuck that. I don't want to go back. Jail, jail can be comfortable, right? Like it does become to a place like I was in and out enough that like you're going home to see your friends, lost your, like, you know, you just get in caught in the system and it's, and it's very easy just to be there. Okay. Right. Like you don't have to worry about feeding yourself. You don't have to worry about what you're going to do. You know exactly what's going to go on. Yeah. It's it's almost like a military aspect of something. It's institutionalization. This is is you going to be your regiment, whether you like it or not. Huh. And like when I first started going to jail, like I kind of looked like I fit in, like yep. I was all tattooed up. I had a beard. You know what I mean? Like well, I looked fa- like I fit in. The face tattoo obviously helps. Yeah. So yeah. my, the my team f- America one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, Sorry. my, my, my Avengers. Yeah. Avengers. That's right. Huge Avengers fan. My first bit, I just kind of looked like I fit in and like, I'm not a super disrespectful person and I asked the right questions, but my problem was, is I pushed back against the guards a lot at first, right? Which, it, which also gains you a little bit of respect when you're willing to push back against the guards to, to, to the other people in the prison. I assume. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, bit, right? I, I well, assume. Well, eventually it becomes a nuisance though, right? Yeah. Because it causes other people issues, lockdowns, uh, segregation. Like, okay. Like I caught, like I went. So there's a certain amount of go along to get along. Yeah, a little bit, right? Like you, you don't need to push back against them. You just kind of, if you can just do your time and keep your yap shut and just kind of let things flow, things are good. So letting that which can flow, flow. Like feel like, no, we don't need, we don't need to make a mountain out of every single molehill. Yeah, absolutely. But I came in with this attitude, like it was me against them, right? And I'm not going to let this, this this guard punked me off basically. Right. And it led me to a situation where I assaulted a guard. I oh. bounced his head off the bars. 
like he's calling me a bitch and a pussy. And I, I reached through the bars and I grabbed him by his stab vest and I went wham and I give him a tug and I smash his face off the bars. Well, I got mobbed on by like 15 guards and they're stepping on your head and twisting you up and spraying you with mace. And they, they don't fuck around. You fuck with them. They fucking show you who's the boss and you get put in your place. And I ended up doing like two and a half months in segregation, treated like fucking Hannibal Lecter. Every time I left my cell, I was handcuffed and shackled. The, the showers are literally like 20 meters away. And to go for a shower every day, I got handcuffed and shackled, dragged over basically to the showers, unhandcuffed and unshackled. I had 10 minutes to shower, handcuffed and shackled, brought back to my cell, and I would sit in there for the rest of the day. So shitty. Like that was two and a half months of my life. You, you, you do got to tell us if there's any kind of statute of limitations that we have to delete off this shit. <laughs> um, just letting you know. So they, they bend rules and twist shit all the time, right? Because you can technically only be under discipline in segregation for up to 14 days. Okay. But they can leave you down there. Yeah. So there, there's what, there's what they say they do and what they actually do. There's a yeah. left hand, right hand kind of thing that's going on. Yeah, well, underdisciplinary is like you're, you have nothing. You get fucking zero nothing. But they'll leave you down there and they'll treat you like you're a regular inmate on, in population. So you get your canteen. You can still buy bags of pops and chips and shit if you actually have money. But they can just leave you down there. Yeah. And that was kind of the situation. It was either that or they'd transfer me out. And I had, I didn't have enough time on my bit left, which I lost all my good time. Cause I, I was doing a nine month bit. So you only do uh time and a half, right? You get time and a okay. half for good time. Yep. So a day and a half for every day of good time. But I lost all of that. So I turned a nine month bit into a full nine months. Cause I lost all my good time for that assault. Okay. Mm-hmm. So with that happening, I still didn't have enough time that it was worth transferring me out to another jail where another jail I would have been. It would have been kind of like you're starting again sort of thing. But like that institution, every time I go in there now, I get placed under behavioral, not that I'm going back for any reason, but every time after that assault, as soon as I would go in, I would get intaked and then I would get segged out. Yeah. Cause they would see, oh, this happened here with this guy. So they do what's called a behavioral assessment. So they would segregate me for a week to make sure I'm not going to fuck around. And then they'd place me on unit. Well, that's always the goal, but okay. So this guy's calling you pussy, calling you a bitch and all these things, but was, was there. Oh, it was worth watching what, his face go from fucking yeah. angry to scared. <laughs> but was, was there, <laughs> I know there's gotta be more going on. Like, is there something you did or something else going around him that, that, that started, caused, that? That, started yeah. that kind of oh, shit? Oh, for sure. So what started it all is I woke up, like there's a. Like there's rules in jail that you kind of abide by, right? Yeah. Like don't flush your toilet before 10 o'clock. Really? If you take a shit, you throw a towel over the toilet. That's interesting. But like. I should tell my kids that. They (laughs) fucking leave it hanging and I'm like, come on. Like in the hole, it's a little bit different, right? Because you get woke up at six o'clock in the morning for breakfast. You eat breakfast, then you go back to bed. If you take a shit, then you can flush the toilet. Everybody's up. They wake you up. You know what I mean? Like there's no choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. But he sat there, this, this, this other inmate in segregation who was what's called PC protective custody. So he's in a different cell all by himself 
because he can't be in general population for either he's a sex offender, can't really get along in population, owed money for whatever reason. There's any number yeah, of reasons. He's got some shit that other inmates may not condone. Yeah, so he sat there and continued to flush his toilet over and over again just to no. be a prick. So I was yelling at him. I'm like, dude, if I get my hands on you, I'm going to fucking smash your teeth down your throat. What kind of noise do they make? Dude, they're like jet engine toilets. Really? Like they're literally like these, they're, they're stainless steel and like, so when there's like fights in jail and there's blood, you yeah. take coveralls because you wear like blue coveralls, at least in Alberta anyways, and you can flush these coveralls down these toilets and wow. it just like, it's super loud. So that's why they say not before 10 o'clock is yeah. because they're so freaking loud. Yeah. Because exactly. I, uh, I, I, residential. <laughs> yeah. No experience with the, the, the judicial system oh, at all. 10 times as loud as a standard household really? toilet. 10 times, yeah. Interesting. And like people get punched out over it all the time, right? No. Flush into really and stuff. Things you would never know from our side of the no, life. No, I, yeah. I have no idea because of. I know. I'm sitting here being like, fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about toilets. <laughs> and mean it and mean it. <laughs> I need to know more. <laughs> and it, like, it's it's literally crazy what you can flush down those toilets. That's amazing. Yeah, they're I, hard, I've, they're I've hard heard, to plug. I have heard some stories about lighting cigarettes with pencils, like the, the yeah, lead of pencils. What do they call it? Uh, probing. Yeah, probing. We're like, I want to light a cigarette yeah. in my cell. So you, but you can't do it too much. Otherwise, it'll... It'll blow the breaker and they don't flip the breaker right away. They'll let it sit and have no power for a little while. So that that's in BC jails, right? Like BC jails, there's actually outlets. So you can just like use the lead of a pencil or whatever yeah. to, to heat it up. That's to light the so paper. amazing. And, but in Alberta, you have a hot water pot on unit. So you pop out. There's is it a, like a there's 220 a little, plug kind of thing? Like a little, is no, it higher amperage? No, or just, just 120. Okay. So you pop the light out and you arc the lead across the contacts of the light. So it creates a spark and you just take, it's called a wick. You roll toilet paper up really tight and it makes it kind of like solid and you can make it really long and you light. The you got to let us so know you, if we got to delete this shit. <laughs> no, no. This is, listen. This is so entertaining. I'm like, man, I don't want the guards to find out and not to get the shit <laughs> oh, they from know, a bunch they of like know. prison guards. They'll take the coffee pots that's, away all the time. That's fucking the awesome. Pots. And you arc it across the, yeah, anyways, contacts and it creates a spark and it lights the pa- toilet paper and then you blow out the flames right away and, and the and toilet paper ash. just has like a cherry. Yeah. And it, you take it and you tuck it in the vent and the vent has just enough draw of pulling air out that it keeps this wick going. Like I've seen ones go for hours. Really? And you like literally <laughs> make these fucking things so long and you bend it <laughs> so that the cherry is, you keep, you have to fix it all the time and bend the cherry towards the back. So if they look from the front of the cell, they can't see the cherry. All they see is the white. Yeah. But you get caught with that's, them all the time. That's, so, sorry, I missed they what, are, what, what's the purpose of that? It, that's a, how you light smokes. So, you, oh, so it has okay. a cherry. So It's like having a lighter all the time. It just kind of oh, keeps it lit. Okay, just I, enough I, get it, to, I get it now. That, oh, I, I've always <clears> been <throat> fascinated by how creative people get yeah. with, while being in prison. Like, you get Dude, time you become, on your head. You literally become MacGyver. Like, it's just like, <laughs> just, just like, because you literally, everything. like, all you get is basically like generally like garbage, like, or like canteen. So it's like, well, they're not, they're, they, noodle cups, be, like a cup of noodles becomes a cup for coffee. Like you just start using whatever you get from canteen to do other things with. Right. And like, 
toothpaste basically acts as glue. Because, like, the toothpaste, unless you can buy toothpaste on Canteen, you get this fucking Dawn fucking mist shit or whatever that's, like, this clear stuff that's not toothpaste. I don't know what it is, but they claim it's toothpaste. It's basically, like, you ever see those little, they're, like, a clear tube? And sometimes you'll get them in the hospital or whatever. And nope. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been to the hospital in forever. <laughs> this <laughs> toothpaste, like, literally, like, you glue things to your walls with it. Really? Like, it, it f- fucking dries rock hard and it'll stick anything together. Like, it's... Interesting. <laughs> it's disgusting, yeah. <laughs> and they want you to put that in your mouth. Yes. That's... With your toothbrush that's, like, three inches long. Yeah, so you can't create a sh- shank out of it. People still do, but, like... Oh, obviously. It's a very ineffective shank. It's a piece of plastic. I, I don't think it would, like, act, even if you got it, like, to a super sharp point. Yeah, but I think it's something's better than nothing kind of a, kind of scenario, right? People get pieces of metal, like... Of course. That's, like, I only did provincial time, too, and, like, you get some, like, serious people, like, especially, like, we were talking earlier about, like, like meth psychosis and stuff mm-hmm. and, like, how meth can break down your reality. When meth comes into jail, things get scary. Like, that's, like, there's, oh, like, I never thought there's, of that. Yeah, but there's j- some, like, big scary dudes that, like, generally, like, either run the unit or, like, they're, they muscle dudes and they, they control most of the dope, like, certain guys, right? And... Even if, like, their best friends are the other guys that control the unit, yeah, they get high on meth and you're sitting in a cell isolated with only your thoughts. Holy shit. Like, I had never thought of that. Well, no, okay, I have a question. <laughs> I, I, I do have a question about that yeah. is where I, I assume, and again, assumption because I'm naive in this area, of meth taking a certain level of consistency to have a stronger effect where if you were to hit it once, twice, but but to have meth enough that you could actually have a long term effect if you're in there for six months or or whatever it is, that's when it takes the strongest hold to actually have a stronger effect on the person doing it, or or can the guy get really thrown off by three four? Uh, okay, so servings? you're asking. Okay, so are we asking Nigel to describe meth use? <laughs> no, no, no. no. I'm, well, I'm, meth, I'm, meth, I'm, meth's pretty potent, right? Like yes. meth, you don't you don't need much of meth to get. That's high. right. Yeah. And like, if you've never like, especially being in jail, your systems is generally pretty clean. Like drugs aren't all, like. Yeah. I don't know. They you portray drugs in like jail. Like there's always dope in jail. Yeah. Not so much in the provincial establishments, especially in Canada. Like dope gets in because like people literally get paid to pack their asses. Yeah. With drugs and then get picked up on breaches or whatever. They come in, they, <coughs> they pass terrifying. the dope and then do their 30 days and they're out again and they get paid yeah. to do this. People get paid to do this. That's crazy. Uh, and, uh, like I've seen just like, but that's generally like the, if there's a large amount of dope in jail, it's generally like a serious player on the street got caught slipping or whatever and just was able to get something up his ass. And bring it into jail with them, like there but was. How consistent? Sorry, it, never mind. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want the answer. <laughs> well, how consistent it happens because that's a lot for for the amount that we're thinking of when it comes to that. It would have some serious weight in the prison system because I assume it doesn't happen as often as one would hope it doesn't happen. But I don't want the answer. Not so. not not very often is there like that kind yeah. of, of amount. But, like, sometimes it doesn't. Like, drugs are super expensive in jail, right? Yeah. For, like, yeah. a... Like, exactly. Like That's what I'm like thinking. What like, they consider, like, a, like the size of a match head of math, meth is, like, 20 bucks in jail. Ooh. That's for a like, match head. 
for like the size of a match head. Yeah. Yeah. And like to get jail sent in, it's like, it's always like a big fuckery and like people like, that's where you get guys getting checked in too, is they'll like, they'll vouch that they have money and somebody will put money in the guy's account for drugs. They'll do the drugs and then they don't have the money put in. So that's where you see guys getting their heads stomped on and checked in, right? They'll have, they'll get beat up or, or be told, Hey, you have to leave unit cause you're going to get your head jumped on. Mm. So sometimes they're polite enough to let them know that like <laughs> it's going to happen more often than not. It's just like, Hey, come in my house, come check this out. And it's like, Oh, uh, you, you walk get, in the you, house you and then the s- six other dudes walk in behind you and you're like cornered by six guys in your cell. And yeah. you're getting the boots right and, there. And you're getting like, and it's, that's where, like, it was in jail that I really realized, like, it's disgusting what the human body can survive. Like, and keep moving. Like, I've seen, like, six dudes jumping on a guy's head. And, like... Like, literally... Like, blood pooling. Like, to the point that, like, a cell's, like, four by... I think it's, like, four by eight or something. You know what I mean? It's not super big. Yeah. Or maybe a little bit, like six by six by ten or something like that. I don't know the exact dimensions, but like so much blood full flowing from this guy's head that it's filled the entire floor of the cell and flowing into the hallway. Yeah, and and he walks. And they and they they they, they, they walk away. Like the guards come in when they notice something happening, or like what happens more often than not when like there is lots of blood, they just clean it up. And then they tell you to lay in bed for the rest of the day. So you just got your head shit stomped. Like if you're solid, you keep your mouth shut. You don't talk, yeah. right? Like you don't, or you're a rat. So you don't go to medical bay or. You just lay in bed and, and it's like the guards will sometimes notice, right? Well, they're saving your ass at that point. Cause if you do, if the, you give, you do give an opportunity for snitch, they know you're dead. They're like, no, they and don't want that for you either. Well, they'll just, if, if you, if you rat anything, they'll, like they'll, you. They'll, they'll pull you off unit. Like as soon as there's a situation yeah, but that, but, like that, if you, if they gave any information that like led to something and that it could have come back, if it could actually come back on you, they would, the guards would like literally pull you off unit right away. Is there a chance that the guards, if they don't like you, will pull you off unit to make it look as if you gave information that you didn't give? I've never seen that happen. I'm not saying it's never happened, but it, I've never seen that particular situation happen. I, I just assume cops are all dirty. I just, just me. Cause the biggest thing that like, what <laughs> your ha- brother-in-law would be so disappointed. <laughs> yeah. what, 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 what you see happen a lot in jail, um, is they try to integrate prisons now. Yeah. So they're putting sex offenders in general population units. Cause like in Alberta, like Alberta, like in BC, there's what's called CSO, which is like a database of all your criminal charges that have happened in BC. So somebody on the outside, if you go to jail, somebody on the outside, cause like what happens is these guys that run the units, they want to check who's on their unit cause they don't want certain kinds of people on yeah. their unit. Okay. So on TikTok, there's this guy like JD delay who constantly talks about people checking paperwork and stuff like that. So yeah. is that, is that a real thing? Absolutely. Okay. So, so he's not talking out of ass. That's nope. Absolutely. Sorry. Sorry. You need to give some context here. Well, checking paperwork, your paperwork's just your charges. 
Yeah. Like most people, like so especially you're talking about, uh, you're talking about inmate checking charges. Inmates to make checking, checking your your details to your see if your name is good or not good. To, to see if you're on solid charges or if you're there on sex offense charges. Like okay, that, that's that's or, that's the context I'm looking for to make yeah. because if I don't know it, there's a good chance that people listening don't know. So I just need to clarify. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. just, just like in our MC community, right? Like sex yeah, offenders yeah. are no good. Yeah, yeah no, like that's like no if you bueno, have you're done. Like, and and I'm not talking just on kids. I'm talking on women. Yeah, uh, even like assaults on elderly. Mm-hmm. Like we, I had a guy come on unit and he was like bragging that he robbed these two old ladies and broke their hip. Oh, jeez. Like I right? want to punch him in the face right now. Listen, it got handled. You know what I mean? Like that stuff, like especially allegedly. Dudes that- <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. No one's listening. It's really great about being a small podcast is that nobody's actually listening. <laughs> yeah, like when those when those people come in, like a lot. What so what I was talking about earlier is when these people come in, like the jails being integrated, is they'll put people that have sex offenses and like no good charges on a unit, and what'll happen more often than not is a guard will tell whoever's running the unit that there's somebody that's no good on your unit, get them out of here. So they can't tell you, they won't tell you names and specifics, but they'll just say somebody that just came on your unit. So you can pretty narrow it down pretty quick. Right. Yeah. Especially like, cause they don't want those guys in there either. Like they're, they, I wouldn't say the disdain for them is equally as what it is on the blocks, but but they, they still don't want them. Like who, who wants to spend time near a sex, near somebody who fucked a kid? Yeah. Like, yeah, no. honestly. Well, even like. That is something that people don't recognize <laughs> like that, among the universal community. That's universal despicability. Absolutely. Well, you, you, you see it like. You got no love nowhere. <laughs> well, and, and that, that's the problem with the federal system now too, is like they're taking away the inmates rights to post paperwork because like in certain federal institutions, you have to post your paperwork on the door, the door of your house. Yeah. So somebody that wants to like, see what you've done can just go, go to your door and look and see what you've been charged with. So that's the way things have always happened in the past. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause then you're forthcoming. You know what I mean? You're not trying to hide anything. Everybody knows everything. Well, it allows but you now the opportunity to be like, Hey, this is my problem. This is where I come from. Yeah. Ma- maybe you serve your time. Maybe you're better, but at least you're putting your, your forthright yeah. where when you take that away, it's like, okay, now you're putting the entire community in danger and also the people around you. Well, the problem is, is jails became completely PC, right? Protective custody. So people with no good, all sex offenders and all these like no good charges or for whatever reason, they end up in these units and there's just so fucking many of them mm-hmm. that they can't, they have to start putting some of them into regular units. So they start they, what they call it as a slider or some, but then a unit will get a name as a slider unit. They, they tend to hide guys here. They're trying to hide guys here. Yeah. But that just it puts a highlight on it where right? like, Hey, a, a spotlight. Hey, <laughs> This is where they go. And, and like, I'm not saying this is all institutions. This is, this is more or less, but my experience, right? Okay. Um, and, and stuff that I've seen, but it's just to the point now that it's just like, there's so fucking many of them that basically all institute, like in the federal system is they're just integrating them all. So you don't, and, but what they're doing to try to protect them is they're taking away their, the other inmates rights to ask for paperwork. Hmm. So they're just, 
you're in there blind, you could be selled up with a guy that's done some horrendous shit and you have no idea what he's in for, right? Yeah. All right. So I realized something like two minutes ago. Um, I, I really derailed the whole conversation about talking about his experience. Oh, I am. <laughs> it got into prison. thoroughly enthralled. I'm like, oh, this is so amazing. Well, simultaneously, okay, prison, not going to prison is a very good deterrent, obviously. From <laughs> Yes, because that was the question. We are talking about deterrence. Like, is, is going to prison a real deterrent to get people into rehab? It's more, and it sounds like from the... So that's uh, how we got on this. Yeah. So, well... And, and the reality is, is like jail sucks. Like it's not like, but the human condition is you try to make the best out of wherever you are. Yeah. Like that's like, you sh- like I fucking laughed and had a lot of fun. Even when I was in segregation, right? Like fucking with guards and just like whatever, man. Like you just start to make fun. I would just like, I would scream and yell for hours about nothing <laughs> just for something to do to fucking have some entertainment. Right. Well, what was your best fuck around with guards? I, oh, I, dude. So I had this, uh, a three stripe. I don't know what the, I can't remember what you call him, just a sergeant or whatever. And he fucking came to my house and he, he'd just be in okay, a prick. So you have to describe a house. What? Just my, my cell. cell. Okay, your cell. cell. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So I had, cause it, in jail, you could write a, you write a chaplain and they give you these little plastic rosaries. And I had a couple of them hanging from my bars and this, I don't even know what his, I can't even remember what his fucking problem was, but he just came and he started chirping me and I kind of shot back at him. And he grabbed these rosaries off my bars and he tried to snap them. And like, listen, these things aren't exactly fucking tough as nails. And it took him like three or four like yanks to break these rosaries. And he throws the beads at me and like the, the whatever the remainder of the string. So I grabbed the rosary and threw it back at him. So next thing you know, they're opening my door and there's four guards coming in my house. I get that. Yeah. And they twist my arm up behind my back and drag me out of my cell and they're taking me to an isolation cell, which is just a, a fucking empty room that locks, right? Yeah. So they're taking this and down in the, in the hole, it's like basically a locked compound and it's like a circle room. And then it has like a circle room and there's two rows of cells on either side. And then on the one side, there's a bathroom. Well, they had this other inmate out of his cell and he was in the bathroom and as they grabbed me and went to go twist my arm behind my back, I pushed off his chest and I got away from him. So now it's like literally like in Monty Python's, I got fucking 12 guards behind me and I'm running in circles trying not to get fucking grabbed. <laughs> and they finally got me cornered and I ran in buddy's, his cell. So they had me cornered in this cell. They're like, listen, you can come out nicely and just walk into your house and everything's going to be okay. Or we're going to fucking spray you. I'm like, Okay. I'll go back to my hose. But it was like Monty Python's for like, I, I, I maybe got three or four laps, but I got these guards fucking chasing me and I'm not, ex- I'm not exactly fucking fast by any means, but these guards are spooked because of, you're, you're this squirrely. was like shortly after, uh, I had assaulted the guards. So now yeah. they, then like, so I finally went back to my cell and by that time they'd called the armed or like, I can't remember what they call it. It's like the tack team or whatever. So now there's like 14 guards in the, in the hole. And I'm like standing in the cell all by myself trying to like <laughs> negotiate with them. And I'm like, I'll fucking go. Just leave me the fuck alone. Back the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. This is so wild hearing you talk about this because <laughs> I don't know you as that guy. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. I, I don't know you as a shit disturber. I know <laughs> you as a peacemaker. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's amazing what God changes in your life, right? right? Like even like going back to the treatment center, like, like that was something I really enjoyed because like sometimes there's like, even now it's hard for me to be like, man, I could solve this in, in two seconds. Right. Yeah. Because like in that old life, when, as soon as you had a problem, you just fucking punched your way out. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if I had, a, if I had an issue with you and I thought you were being an asshole, I'd be like, get in the house. We're going to punch it out. You solve the issue. And, and you go in and, you, and you, you throw fists and whoever fucking wins They're right. won the argument. <laughs> yeah. There and you, go. you literally go back, like you go in the cell, you fight, come out, def- you sit and you start def- drinking your coffee like nothing happened. Like, and, you, and, you literally, and you literally don't talk about it because you don't brag. You like, that's just the culture. You just, you handle it. It's over. Drink coffee. No, no bubbles, no troubles. Which doesn't always happen that way, but like, yeah, that's the way it, that's the proper way. Right. You know, what's that, that commercial with the arm wrestling? Let's do it. The, what the fuck do they say? I can't remember. I, I just think of over the top. Sorry. So that's the usual, the usual way. Let's handle it the usual way. And they all got like one big arm and they're arm wrestling Skittles or some shit. I don't know. Anyway, it's <laughs> I was thinking over the top with yeah. Sylvester yeah. Stallone. So that's not Wraps like the hands. You got to go over the top. But you know, like that's something that like my flesh really would rather do. I would rather solve my issues by a quick couple shots in your face. The normal way. Yeah. <laughs> the usual way. Then, yeah. then to, to like have this, like being sitting here and being like having to talk to this person that's like. Why do you feel that way? Completely irrational and <laughs> just like being like a. Cause so often it's just like this, it's this, this petty bullshit that gets to a guy like as a staff member now, right? Like mm-hmm. they're, they're complaining because they only get milk with breakfast, but milk is like, cause the vast majority of Who food. The fuck needs milk more than just breakfast. I'm sorry, but that's the only time I have milk nowadays. They're, they're, they're savages. Like they're literally <laughs> savages. Like I don't understand, but it, it's like. It's that selfish nature of an addict, right? It's like, even once you get them into a center and they're starting to change their life, it's still so often like we see like people with food hoarding Well, if, it's, and like taking like, they'll eat an entire fucking pie just to eat a whole fucking pie well, that's exactly to make it. sure they get theirs. Well, that's exactly it. When I said, when I realized when I said it, I'm like, who the fuck drinks milk? It's, it's not the fact that they can only have milk for breakfast. It's the fact that you told them they can't have milk other than breakfast. It's like, who the fuck are you to tell me that I can't have this thing? That I can't have what I want when I want it. <laughs> I want it. What, it's milk. It's good for me. Why the fuck are you trying to tell me what I can and cannot do with something so stupid? Well, simultaneously, me as an adult, I, I don't drink milk. Well, there, there's a big part of the program that like, so in addiction, it, a lot of addictions, instant gratification, right? Eat, do your drugs. It's a dopamine hit and that's, you're there. You know what I mean? Like it's instant gratification, trying to reach, help them to retrain their brain that gratification can come down the road. Like we use a request process. So like if they want to do something, uh, get a haircut, like it's on our time, not your time. Yeah. Like you don't just get to pick and choose when you do things, you have to ask and there's a process Yeah, and it's to teach them that, um, you don't get what you want when you want it. Oh my and gosh. You, and you really like have to that's, develop. That's what I have to 
teach my nine year old. <laughs> it is. Well, right? it's, a re- it's a reprogramming, right? It's the, yeah. okay, we need to go back to basics. How can we reprogram you to. I just, I never quite pictured it that way, like trying to retrain it or like trying to train a child. Yeah. Well, it is because the vast majority of like addiction, like any trauma, whether it addiction or whatever, causes emotional. Uh, and, and developmental stunting. So you, you basically stop maturing at a certain age. So a lot of like, until you can heal through that trauma, you'll often remain at that stage in your life. So like, there's like different developmental stages of a child, right? Like you become your, um, when you're a child, there's like, you're part of your mom and then you become your own separate entity. And that's like the no phase. Right. And then you develop from there to adolescence where now you're, you're slowly becoming your own person and you're developing your own ability to self soothe and to return like the book we read. It's, it's called, um, living from the heart that Jesus gave us, which, which talks a lot about the trauma and like, I never really thought about this stuff, but it made it a lot easier for me to deal with the students because you start to see just through their behaviors. Like I was talking about that big tall guy. He has these like childlike where it's all about me, 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 me. Just that selfish nature is that that's stunting at a child like because he's never got to the place where he can self-soothe and, and create his own peace. He just has, he lives in that state of chaos and he gets stuck there. Yeah. He has no way to take that back to, to being peace, peace inside, or, or they call it the state of joy, right? You, you can't return to joy because you don't know how. So you get stuck in that moment. So with the, those developmental issues, a lot of it is trying to find these trauma in these people's life and helping them through the work of the Holy Spirit and God. First, A, bring the trauma to the light because there's two different kinds of trauma. There's trauma A and trauma B. Trauma A is... Something was done to you, right? Sexual abuse, physical beatings, something, your safety was, was damaged and taken away. And then trauma B is neglect, right? Like being left, something was deprived from you. Mm -hmm. So trauma A done to you, B taken away from you. And there's different ways that you have to heal for them. Because what happens often with your brain works to protect you. So you often like with lots of these traumas, you won't remember them, but the lasting effects are there from them. And because it's your brain tries to protect your mind. So it causes like actual amnesia. And a lot of the time, especially when it, like, I think it's primarily with the neglect, I want to say. So you won't remember being locked in a closet as a child. You'll just have these behaviors where you're scared to be alone. You don't want to, you, so you're very clingy and stuff because you don't want to have these things neglected from you or deprived from you. So you have to first, A, help them come to a place where they recognize this trauma that they've gone through and then B now help them lead them through, through prayer and walking through it with them, helping them to heal through it. So trusting that God actually wants them to be restored, 
which is a lot of people don't think they like, for whatever reason, they don't either deserve to be restored or they're still rooted in their old identity. So it's, it's helping them become like, that's one of the greatest tools I use is like, who does God say you are? Yeah. Oh, so, okay. That's, that's something I want to ask between the two experiences you have that element of like you lean on God for your identity and for your healing and, or not having that and trying to like, how, how does that work when you were in the secular stream of it, when you're trying to deal with that identity issue? So a, a lot of it, like, like, cause even in the secular system, they use the 12 step program, which is rooted in God, but it's a God of your own understanding. So it's ink. It's just an incomplete picture. Okay. So, but that was a big part of my journey to God was because I knew that I needed God in my life, but I didn't know who the fuck he was. I had no idea. And I sought him in like new age spirituality. So I started like reading books on like Zen Buddhism and all this shit and like fucking, um, just like self-help books basically. Right. But it, it brought me, it started to develop some tools in my life, like prayer and meditation. But the focus of my meditation was just like trying to quiet your mind and like remove all distractions and stuff. Right. So you're not focusing on anything and praying was just, I didn't know who the fuck was praying to you. And it just really built all these questions in my head. But I, I would, I'd been, I was coming to a place that I was seeking God. Right. So that was like, and I was looking for him actively. I was reading books. I was going to meetings. I was having conversations with like people that I thought were really spiritual and all this stuff. And, and one day I got led to a church while I was at the secular place. Cause it was at the secular center that I came to know Jesus. And I went there to like have a cup of coffee and maybe see a girl. Yeah. You know, and, and, woman. I, and I walked through the door and some like 78 year old woman like I'm used to people, like at this point I was still like wearing like the moniker, like that I was a monster, right? Cause that's, I wore that as a moniker on the streets. Like I, I'm a bigger monster than you. And like, if I hit you first, you leave me the fuck alone. Like that was still the mentality I carried. But you ain't, oh, you, ain't just, you ain't swinging on a 78 so year old lady. <laughs> it's so weird hearing you say that. <laughs> I don't know that guy. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you have you felt his thump? I'm sorry, he hit me in the arm no, no, one no. time. I'm like, Fuck. no, no, like, oh, no, dude, you're a solid hunk of meat. <laughs> what I mean is, I don't know that mind. Like, the, I don't know he, that personality and, from you. And it, it's, you know, like the 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 roots and and like all my like even that violence that I did, man, it was from a place of hurt and brokenness, right? Like, I just. I was scared because like I was bullied and picked on when I was a kid and that's where it all started. The violence, right? Cause I found if I fucking smashed your chicklets down your throat, you left me the fuck alone and all I, and I just, and I, so. Okay. You say as a kid, but what, what do you recognize as a kid? Cause I was bullied as a child too, but what? By the time I was about 10 years old. You were that, smashing chicklets at 10 years old? Like I was punching dudes out. Like that's cause I was getting. at 10 years old, I was getting the boots to me and. I, I didn't turn out the same level as you, yeah. but at the same time, we, we run it. I, I, I was running in the res circles. Yeah. Like I was surrounded by res kids. So when I got the boots, I got yeah. the boots. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying that, but I, I just, I, 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 I just, when I hear kid, it's, it's an ambiguous turn. It's anything from eight to yeah. 18 to some people. Well, the first time I experienced it, I was in kindergarten. 
And this kid was like picking on me and making fun of me. And I grabbed him and like probably the most technical judo toss ever, like just a good old Harai Gosh. And I just, I turned and I flipped him. Yeah. And that kid never touched me again. Was like, so that was the first time that behavior started to develop, right? And, and it was just that negative reinforcement of that happening over time and time again. Yeah, but, but again, it goes, I was in kindergarten as well. Yeah. Somebody tried to take my toy Lamborghini. Well, guess <laughs> what? I put that Lamborghini in my hand and I decked him. Well, <laughs> the edge of the car caught his face and I put a, a solid gash into his head. Yeah. But I didn't have the same, the same result as you. And it's really amazing to see what direction your life went in as opposed to mine. And it's, it is, it's very different. Well, simultaneously having some similarities to be like, okay, there's yours and there's mine. And it's just, it's, it's, it's profound because there's, there are relations. We both had a little bit of rough upbringing, but there were choices we made um, along the way that allowed us to go different directions. I don't know, maybe this question is going to be too deep down the rabbit hole. But what was your trauma that? And you don't got to say. Yeah, you don't. You don't. You don't have to answer this. I. I don't want to guilt you into this, but I'm. I'm honestly interested as your brother. What's the trauma that kicked you down this path? Where that's where where. It, Drugs and dopamine hits and, and things like that was where you went for solace. And simultaneously, yeah, just gonna say it really quick. Yeah. We can edit this shit out. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. We can edit if if you're like, I want to open up about this, but don't uh, want it on a podcast. Well, fucking there, there, there's it's gone. there's no individual trauma. Like, okay. it, it's not like some like. Like you didn't go through any kind of. You didn't go through any sexual abuse nope. or like no no one fucked you up the ass. Nope. But Why not? What? What? Like I had like, even from a young age, you know, like I had identity issues. Like I never thought I had a lot of value in myself, and especially when I had so many people in my life, like no, mostly peers, I would say that would talk shit about me and like name call me, and and that shit really like fucked with my confidence as a kid. Really? And then I discovered drugs. I smoked weed for the first time, and I I was fucking funny. And I felt like I had some confidence and then I discovered alcohol and I was like, fuck, I'm actually pretty fucking funny, but no, I'm just a drunk retard. And, and you well, know, and, yeah, it, and yeah, it was yeah, this, you were this funny because they were laughing at you, not with you. Absolutely. Yeah. But it built this like fake, fake confidence in myself that I felt like I was somebody when I was under the influence. And then it started to create that identity that that's who I was, was like, I'm a drug addict or I'm an alcoholic. You know what I mean? I'm like, mm-hmm. and I never would have identified as those things at the time, but that, well, that was the, the, that mannerism that was like that repeated behavior. And then you, you begin like that, that substance is your medicine, right? Because I felt so unrelevant. I felt so not enough. And even though like I was like in leadership and cadets at this time when I was younger, when I started drinking heavily and I started smoking pot all the time, like I was, oh, wow. I had potential, you know what I mean? Like I had a lot of potential. I had a lot of really good stuff, but in my fucking own head and like I was on the national shooting team, I traveled to England, you know what I mean? But I still felt like I was a fucking piece of, like not a piece what, of shit, but well, I just felt like I had very little value. What was your home life like? Because I know for me, 
again, kind of similar. Gotten beat up, yeah. but not. I'm not at that level of you know interaction. But I didn't have that. I didn't have that um, that lack of identity that I needed to to go a different way. I I know that I. So I'm remembering our podcast about a little Mike. I know it's not called that, but <laughs> that's the spiritual name. <laughs> but you. You did talk about that. It didn't go that far. Yeah. But you found a certain amount of identity in alcohol. Oh, only in, in my later years. In my, in my, <clears throat> a, in my. Okay. But maybe it's not like in high school, but I mean, you, like, yeah. Okay. I, don't, I think you described some of the same things. It didn't go as far, but you yeah. just, but you it, described but it, in your you, details you, of, of your but upbringing. Nigel, Nigel hit a lot earlier than I did. Because it, it being in the time that I did, well, maybe, I was a little more developed. Maybe, maybe there's, there's various more. other things. Like, I mean... I'm only asking because I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm, I'm listening. And, but yeah. yeah, you're right that I there, did lack in some areas there's, there's later on. There's various elements that can change a guy's life that aren't in your control. Maybe yeah. there were some elements in yours that weren't in Nigel's or things in Nigel's that weren't in yours. Yeah. But I will say the main theme that Nigel's talking about is exactly what you described in some of your descriptions okay. of your, like, you know, getting to the point where people were like, what's, what's really in your orange juice? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you're like, no, it's actually orange juice. And they fucking didn't believe you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Thank you. Well, I, I no, I, I, I'm, I'm being earnest when I say thank you. I'm not being sarcastic and uh, pretentious or whatever. But yeah. There's a lot of it. Like it, it started to spin out of control when I was like probably 17, right? Cause at 17, uh, I, the drinking started to get like, and I started hanging out with an older crowd. So it started to be about my environmental influences in my life. So I was hanging out with older people and they were doing Coke. And at that time I was just pot and booze, right? Like I was pretty naive when it came to that stuff. Yeah. And I still remember being in this fucking shitty apartment beside Domino's pizza and these two older guys go into the bedroom and I'm like, Hey, what, what the fuck are you guys doing? What's going on in there? They're like, you don't want none of this. Oh my gosh. You know whole, what? Like that, li- whole... that literally, I got that fucking speech. They're like, you don't want none of this. So instantaneously, I'm like, yeah, I fucking well, now knew I, I do. Yeah. I think walking hard did I a think... bit on that. Well, yeah. yeah. It, was in, it was in Ray. Like the thing with Michael J. Fox as yeah. Ray, Ray Charles. He had that very same thing where he walked into a bathroom and his like trombone player is, is doing, doing, doing blow. smack. Yeah. yeah. Doing, yeah. Doing heroin. He's like, pot is bitch. This is boy. You don't want any boy. <laughs> like you know, gave yeah. that whole thing I, to him. I never watched Ray. It's actually I gotta fantastic. Watch that. It's a fantastic movie. Not that I didn't watch it. I never had the opportunity. It never yeah. really struck. It is a great movie. Yeah. It, it is. It's, yeah. it's honestly good. Music's good. The the whole thing fantastic. All right. Anyway, watch but, Ray. But exactly what he's describing here, like that happened in the movie. Yeah. And like, like I don't give a fuck who you are. Like I don't know. Like. Everybody else, I'm sure people have their individual stories where they take it and they're like, oh, this is no good. But cocaine is a hell of a drug. It really is. Like from that first thing and you're like, whoa, you feel like a fucking rock star and you feel like you're on top of the world. Like just that, that instant smash of like adrenaline and, and that that instantaneous rush. I still know people that are hitting it like that. They're, they're still, they haven't hit rock. They haven't gotten close to rock bottom. They just, I I know people are like, yeah, I take a bump once in a while. It's fine. It's not a problem yet. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's, that's the thing is it's like, for me, it was just like, I really had that, 
that all or all in mentality when I first started doing it. Cause I'd already had, I was already using like, I was already using substances to make me feel more than, and then this made me feel even more than. Yeah. And it was, and it, it, and it fucking took off. And it was like 17. Yeah. Oh. And I just, I just graduated high school. See, that's when I started going through my shit when I was like 17, 18 years old. So you were just, you were like, (laughs) you were getting into the hard stuff at 17. Yeah. So that's when I hit that. And then like it progressed to crack really fast because we were, I was selling or I was doing like, I was uh, delivering pizzas. So like I would like, we had a dealer that would meet me and then sometimes I'd draw baggies off for him on my runs or whatever. You know what I mean? And then one day he, he, I, I drove him around after I got off work. So he paid me in dope. So then I started driving around all the time. And then one day he didn't have Coke. He's like, Oh my God, it's crack. You want to smoke some of this with me? So I started smoking crack with his dealer. And then like, that's when things went fucking haywire. Like I, like I disappeared. My parents, like, I like basically went underground, was like living in crack shacks, bouncing around from house to house, uh, smoking crack and selling crack. And so I was indoctrinated into like the dope game at that point. And I just was so out of control. I was so fueled by smoking more crack because I don't like, I don't know if you've ever experienced crack, but like it hasn't even, I hope I pray not, but it hasn't even left your lungs and you want more. Like you take this giant crack hood and you're letting it out and you're instantaneously overwhelmed with this feeling like you want more. Okay. So I've got, I've got a friend, very, very good friend. He's been through that Mm -hmm. and he, if you want to listen to it, he, he talks about it on his podcast, the, Fucked up. No, the sorry, no, the the, the uh, messed up tales of a northern boy. But he he was caught into into that. For, you know, meth was the thing that rang his bell. Yeah. And at some point, his son, who is now seventeen, was like, "Hey, Dad, tell me about crack." <laughs> like, whoa, right? Like, how do you deal with that when when that happens? Because like, I know you did it. Yeah, but if, yeah. if but if if you if you know your dad did it and he doesn't want to talk about it must be amazing but if he talks it up and i i kind of appreciate i appreciated his answer he was like okay you want to know about it all right like yeah. what do you love it's like i love hanging out with my friends no 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 you know you don't you love meth it's like what do you do when you wake up in the morning it's like oh man i get coffee and cereal no 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 the first thing you reach <laughs> you, you reach for meth yeah it's like what do you what do you do when you feel bad it's like, you know, like, and he just went through all the things that make up this, this teenage life's, this teenager's life, you yeah. know, and he's like, you have to replace every thought yeah. with what gives you joy and what gives you meaning how and what can gives I get you more? identity and replace it with the idea of how do I get more meth? Yeah. It just, that, that's what dominates. Yeah. Like, I'd never heard it put that way. And I was like, oh, like, yeah, it's. Wait, shout wait, shout okay. out to Bubbles. Yeah. What, what? Okay. <laughs> From his experience to your experience, close? Kind of, yeah. No, I know that because that's where it becomes, right? Like, it's like, that's all you want to do and that becomes your life. And it's how can I get more? And the easiest way, inevitably, to get more drugs is a Sucking dick. Well, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I never went down that road, praise the Lord, but you know Sorry. what I mean? Like, this is a BCP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could be all proper on the next one. 
Yeah, it just, it consumes every aspect of your life. Like I said, I was living in crack shacks. Like that was my life. My parents actually hired a private detective to come drag me out of a crack shack. And that's kind of what shocked my system into like going back to a real life. And I got a job in the oil patch, but I was still. Oh uh, yeah. The, there's, still a, using, there's a real safe haven right yeah, there. Still, <sighs> still doing drugs and drinking all the time and like, but I was working and I became what I would call a functioning addict for a lot of years, but I still had basically a grandma, grandma day cocaine habit where I was still doing at least, at least a couple rails every night, basically for the, ma the majority of my twenties sleep. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's no, that's where opiates came in. So I, I got where I was a functioning and then I had met a girl and I started dating her. And she's like, Hey, try this. It'll help you sleep after we've done some blow. So she gave me some oxys. So, and then I started doing, we're doing Coke and then oxys every night until the one day I didn't have oxys and I'm like, Oh, I feel sick. I think I got the flu. And, no, I was dope no, sick. Just with, withdrawals. Yeah. Withdrawals. And then that like. Eventually opiates took over everything where it was just like, I could care less about the Coke. I just want to get opiates. And that led me to a place of being unemployable. And then that's where meth came in because it would help me get to the next fix of opiates. Yeah. You, t you told me once that like when you're dealing with an addict, the t the time when things make the most sense is actually when they're on it. Yeah. Like, things get really, really weird and sketchy and hard to gauge once they're off it because they're sick and stressed out. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, <clears throat> like, meth is like, uh, meth's a weird one, right? Because it, it fractures your reality because you be, you stay up for so long so your, your, your reasoning and logic circuits are completely fucked. Like, you don't, you, the, your brain is feeding you bad information. So once your brain starts feeding you bad information, you don't know what to trust. So now you're not trusting your own thoughts and you're not trusting anybody else's thoughts around you. So now you think everybody's plotting on you. Somebody's just on their phone sending a text message. You're like, what the fuck are you sending? You talking to the cops? Who the fuck are you emailing at this time? It's fucking three o'clock in the morning. Who the fuck are you talking to? And you start getting paranoid. And to the point that like, I, I told you about my friend's story that like, he fucking took a mail lady hostage because she was putting mail in his mailbox because he well, thought that, she that's was sketchy as fuck. I don't care who you are. Mm. There should be nobody near your box. <laughs> yeah. Wearing Sorry. a mail uniform. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that's insane. Okay. I hate to derail and cut short, uh, but it's like 1247 and I want to <laughs> end on a high note. It has been Fucking this amazing. is amazing. <laughs> so intriguing. This is, oh, I, I know people would pay for this kind of shit. Yeah. Now, I want to end on a positive. I don't care if we go another half hour, but I want to talk a I little bit about though. the- Can I piss quick? Yeah, yes. you can piss. 100%. We, we, yeah. We're not going to stop, though, because I don't like doing this whole uh, they, conversation. The vibe never derailed. gets good again if yeah, we yeah. stop it. So you go. You go We're going to talk. Yeah, We're yeah. going to chat. Holy fuck. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Bro. Yeah. I did not expect the conversation to go quite like this. I, I'm glad the direction that it's been going. I really am because yeah. there's there's this idea of what we assume it all, the prison, the, the rehab, the drugs, and all that thing. We assume it's going to go one direction, and it's just, it's it's far more 
interesting than we give it credit for. Yeah. Uh, listening to Nigel here actually unlock a bit of self-realization. Yeah. How so? Uh, okay, how, how so in yours? Um, About, like, kind of identity and, like, having things reinforced for self-identity. It's like, I never had an addiction to opioids or things like that. I never found my value in that because I never experienced it. Yeah, you're you're naive. Yeah, but, like, I mean, I was, like, chubby kid, self-image issues, like, couple friends, never popular with girls, etc. And I have this memory that just flooded my mind as he was talking about, like, basically, like, you're like, oh, you became funny for the first time. And now that's all you want to do so that people will give you value. Right? Yeah. So funny was a thing. Like, I mean. Oh, it's huge. It's, it's, it's but there's, there's another your... one that gave me a bigger hit that I think af- affected a lot of who I am. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability. <laughs> hmm. So I remember, I remember a youth retreat that I took from the from the MB preteen youth group where we went to the Blueberry Bible Camp for one of those sleepover 24-hour fast things. Yeah, like, like the 30-hour 30, 30 famine kind of bullshit. Yeah, exactly. And I remember being in a circle and having this big powwow conversation, you know, sort of about things. And I remember, like, in one of those moments, just kind of like having one of, one of those real vulnerable moments. Like, it was real, right? Like, not yeah. a put-on. But I started talking about an issue that went through like a year or two prior where my parents had this this big marital fallout. Yeah. Oh yeah, you got you, you guys were going through the shit at that time. Yeah. And the experience I had in forgiving the guy that my mom had an affair with. And and so like we're we're in this powwow sort of thing and I divulged that and and what it was like and what it was like to actually come to the point of forgiveness sort of thing. And it was one. Of, it was the first time in my life when people were paying attention to what I had to say. Yeah, which is a other other that, than that's so dangerous. I'm other sorry. than other than being the joke, the butt of the joke, and the self-deprecating kid. Yeah, because I was fat, chubby kid, unpopular. And like the hit of confidence that I got oh, I, out of I, being vulnerable. And that there was like a pride of like I mean I remember the youth pastor being like I don't even know why I preach I should just have you talk all the time oh, I hate that oh looking back I'm like that is so dangerous yeah because and like, I th- in a way I think it created a self obsessed monster <laughs> I could I could I could see what you're talking no yeah, no you know I'm me. not trying to offend you. But I can see exactly what you're talking about. This person who makes it okay. I can, how can I turn this around to make it about me? And I, I'm guilty or, of it. Or how just can as I? Bad or or to maybe not use, even just making it about me. But how can I? How can I use vulnerability as a tool for self affirmation or so for not self affirmation for your affirmation of me? So yeah. it's, it's weaponizing vulnerability in order to get something out of you. Yeah, for validation. For yeah, for yeah, that's a good word for validation. That has been a thing 
over the long term. Yeah. <sighs> I hate fucking. I hate it. You just, you just. This whole self awareness thing is a lot of work. <laughs> Bullshit. Sorry, we were just talking about something that you said that unlocked a memory that I had that is explaining a little bit to me about why I'm always in my own way. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I... we're going to save that for another day. <laughs> That's another day. <laughs> because now you're back. So <laughs> now I'm going to you... go piss. You guys keep going. <laughs> what? <laughs> Son of a bitch. All right. I'll, I'll stick around for a minute. I, what? I wanted to end. Yeah, on, yeah, you wanted to end on a positive note. Yeah, but I wanted, then he, okay, we've heard all this shit. We've heard everything, and and you asked about the difference between the secular and the Christian organization that you're involved with more now. Um, I I feel from what I've seen, I know where you've come out of in the the secular one, and now you're going through the Christian one, and. What is the biggest difference, and how? What's the best effect? Which one do you recommend more? I know they they both have their pros and cons, but I, I'm really hoping that I, I really uh, it's a biased view of yeah. wanting the Christian one to be better. <laughs> well, uh, you know what? Absolutely, I would say it is because the one it identifies God for you and brings you back to like the scriptures that is the Bible that actually is the interaction of, of God with man, right? And that's, that's like basically our blueprint to how we should live our life and, and our moral compass. And like even Jordan, P- Jordan Peterson says that it's the most integral book to our culture. Yeah. Like on a lot of the, like with the 12 step shit, it's, it's just like, it's a God of your own understanding. And that doesn't make sense to me. And for somebody that like, like, I guess at the core, it's the same as it's, it's a seeking after God that makes you recover. It brings you to a place like, cause it's, it's really only God that can restore us. Like you said, you could, like, you can't identify the man that I was before. With the man that I know. Absolutely. And, and like. With a very brief exception of like, after we got to know each other, you did relapse. Yeah. For a brief exception, there was a moment where I was like, what is going on with Nigel? But that has been so different from the man I knew before that and also the man I know now. Well, God radically changed my life. God has, ha, has radically brought me to a place like it's, you know, like some people like never forget where you came from. Well, listen, there's some things that like I don't really need to acknowledge anymore today because I've worked through a lot of the 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 reconciliation between my family and stuff. Like me and my sister still ain't good. You know, like we've never really come to a place where we've come to, because there's some trauma on both sides of the fence with, with what I've done and what she's done to me. And you know what? I forgive my sister and I just pray that there's an opportunity for us to reconcile because it really is only the two of us. I don't have any other siblings and, and I do love her, but like we, it's like fire and gasoline. Like it just turns into a shit show when we get put in close quarters, especially like when mom died. It just like, yeah, I remember especially that. cause like I was fighting through trying to stay sober and I was trying not like, cause my brain said that you should get high. And then like my sister's like actively drunk as a fuck around me and just, she's drinking her way through it. Like I had the odd drink here and there. I'm not going to completely deny what I've done. Right. Like I, I won't, I, 
I have one. Least, Fuck, we're here for it. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, But it, it was like one or two, you know what I it, mean? It was like, a controlled and in, environment. And in fact, and, if and you've it, been paying attention to this podcast over the year, you were here for it too because you were on literally that weekend. Yeah. The yeah. first time you were on the podcast was the weekend that was like died. That Again, was, controlled environment. <laughs> that was literally the night after. Yeah. Because yeah. my mom, know. you know, and it, and it just like... I don't think ever anything ever prepares you for that situation, but I am grateful for like the brothers and the people that God has put in my life. Um, and like, I don't have that desire to use, like, I don't need drugs to say who I am today. I've become strong enough and firm enough in my identity, uh, especially my identity in Christ, but also who Nigel is. Like, I know who the fuck I am. I don't need to defend who I am to anybody. Nor do if like, if you don't like me, that's a you problem. That's not a me problem. Yeah. I'm not here to make you like me. I don't need to get like, when you're talking about the self-validation and stuff, I don't need that validation anymore because I know who I am. And like, I have some pretty unique gifts and, and talents that, that are pretty unique to me. And, and that's the beautiful part of, of the unique way God has made me. But I'm also a product of, of my, what I've been through, like my traumas and shit too. So living through those things, like I don't see those things as negative anymore. I see those things as learning things. And those things have really softened my heart because I know how fucking horrible life can be. I've, I've literally shit in plastic bags and apartment building basements, right? Like where I broke into to stay warm at night. You know what I mean? Like these are like, I've lived, I've dumped or died. Like I've been through some, some life altering circumstances and I've come out the other side and it's softened my heart. Like I like to see, think that I don't judge the people that are in those situations anymore. It offers me an opportunity to minister to them. But as I, with that being said is I'm farther removed from that life that, that softness towards them can, I have to really check myself because there's moments where I find myself slipping into that judgment of the world where I start to judge these people and without understanding. So I have to, I do have to try not to forget. So like, that's the thing is like, you have to forget select things and like hang on to other things yeah. because there's really fruit that comes from those things that you can hang on to. And the biggest thing in life is like, I'm not trying to prove myself anymore. Like yeah. when I was young, I was always trying to prove something to somebody else. I was always seeking somebody else to say, Hey, Nigel, you're cool. You know what I mean? Like that's what I saw it with my whole heart after that, because I didn't, if I didn't hear that, I didn't think I was shit. And so I, I did fucking crazy things. I would smash my property and you know what I mean? Like I started to try to create this persona that I thought people would like. And that's where I ended up at, like being proud that I was a monster. You know what I mean? Because I thought that's what people wanted to hear, especially the people around me. And so you went from wanting to be the funny guy to wanting to be the monster. Because that's what I thought the people around me wanted to hear. Because like it was, I was so entrenched in that life and I really didn't feel like I belonged. You know what I mean? Like I never, I never enjoyed stealing things. I never... Like violence never brought me joy. Like there's never, like I was never like smiling and punching yeah. somebody's so head in. Yeah. You're not a, you're not a psychopath. Exactly. Right. Like I still had emotions and stuff and I knew the way I was living my life. And like, 
Okay. So this is like a, th- a theory that I have that like, I don't know, like I believe like there's other addicts that I've talked to about it, especially like math addicts that like kind of have been brought, like had similar experience, but I believe drugs in general wear the veil thin between the spirit world and the physical world. So lots of times people see people that aren't there, right? And see faces in the windows and stuff staring back at them when they're in situation, then they start sketching out. Well, I believe that to be the demonic. So I, I do believe that a large part of addiction is demonic oppression. I don't believe it to be possession because like, even like, so I did have an experience when I was seven years old with a neighbor kid where he explained Jesus to me. And I'm like, you just got to ask him in. That's it. Like without full understanding of what the gospel was. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at a young age. And I'm not saying that that was my saving grace. Maybe it was. I don't know the ways of God and I don't know. But whatever, I accepted Jesus when I was seven years old without having a full understanding or whatever of anything. And because of the choices I lived and the the way my life moved, I, I ended up entrenched in that lifestyle. But, but God some, never some, forgot you. No, and, and and like it's a common delusion too with somebody on meth. Like I I literally watched a guy with no shirt on in his underwear standing in the middle of the field screaming scripture into the air, probably having no idea exactly what he was saying. And it's very common that people feel high on meth. Like I had a conversation with a girl that thought she was Jesus. Oh, dude. Okay, our brother Jarrett just today was talking about seeing somebody outside of the Tim Hortons and Dawson Creek talking I, about being Jesus. And I know that I know kid, that same guy. <laughs> yeah. I know the kid. I've bumped into him several different times. Yeah. A couple times while I was wearing the patch where he would be talking about spiritual delusions, you know, about being the devil's son or about being Jesus himself and stuff like that. Very common delusion with somebody on meth. They, okay. either, they either feel close to the demonic or close to the angelic or like, I, I literally believed in my addiction that, uh, I was not an angelic being, but I was protected by an angelic being and that its name was Azrael, which is an actual biblical, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if it's an angel or I don't know, but it's a biblical name that like I had like in my mind, it was real mm-hmm. and whether it was or not or not, but, and I, I've seen people that weren't there. I've talked to people that weren't there. I've had weird conversations, delusions psychosis. I've been in those states. I just believe it. When you're up for that long, the veil wears thin and you can see into the demonic and you can see, but you can also see into the angelic. So you're affected by both and it's whatever your predisposition towards, right? Like I think that people that are, have a darker heart are more predisposition to be closer to the demonic and people that maybe have a softer heart or for whatever reason, some sort of ties with the Holy Spirit or whatever, for whatever interaction they've had with believers and whatnot. There was always something trying to pull me out. And I, I truly, like I, like I said, I've been in situations with some pretty scary stuff, like guns being put to my head, people threatening to kill me, whatever reason. But I always made it out alive. So that's what really led me out of a vast majority. Like I wanted to start getting help. Like I I knew I didn't belong in that world. And that was where the draw and that like, I, I myself was a self-proclaimed atheist the vast majority of my life, but something 
changed when I was on the street and homeless and I was in a lot of those situations. Like I literally like had one day where I felt like I couldn't die. I was literally crossing the road trying to get hit by cars. Like I would try, I was walking across uh, the main drag right in front, right? Do you know where the Silver Crest Inn is in Grand Prairie? Yeah. I was like right there in front on like, I don't know, what, I can't remember what street that is, but that main drag road, I was walking across there trying to get hit by cars and I didn't get hit. And so it, I don't, for whatever reason, those moments started to make me believe that there was something keeping me alive, protecting me. So it started to build this faith and I started to believe in God. But like I said, I didn't know who God was and I didn't know his character, but I felt like there was this force keeping me alive and that laid this root. And then I had some experiences where like I had really bad meth sores and I had an infection because I was shooting drugs and I literally had went in to a clinic and I was so smelly and disgusting looking that like six people got up and moved to the other side of the room. And I felt so much shame and so much guilt that I didn't get help for another three days. And I literally was walking around with my arm above my head because if I put it below my chest, like below my heart, the blood pressure would increase in my arm and it would throb so bad I couldn't even, it hurt so bad. So I was walking around with my hand above my head and I finally... I finally used and I literally stuck the needle in my vein and shot up and pulled the needle out and pus came out of my veins. And I finally went to the hospital and they like rushed me in and trying to find a vein for antibiotics. They stabbed me so many times because my veins were so messed up from my IV using. And like I cried on this nurse's shoulder and they, they finally got the IV in my arm and gave me these IV antibiotics and they gave me opiates in it because I was in like severe withdrawal and I was going through this infection and the doctor goes to me, he's like, you're lucky you came in a couple more hours and you probably wouldn't have made it. And all these like close calls and these situations and then like these nurses started to show me kindness and that kindness in those moments I was so vulnerable started to affect me. And I seen this in people. And then like there's, there was a couple times Christians bought me, like randomly I was like standing on a street corner and a Christian bought me, I'm just sitting there, I, was, I had a hockey stick, it's like four in the morning and I'm playing like with a can. Like, and this lady came up to me and talked to me and she prayed for me. And that those small interactions with Christians started to be like, Hey, it started to plant seeds and, and cause this formation of, of like, maybe I do believe in it, that there is a God and somebody, something wants the best for me. And I went down this really weird path to get there. And it was a really long road. And there was moments in, in Edmonton when I was on the streets, like all my stuff getting stolen and there was these moments, like this prolific moment happened with this one. I was, I finally reached out to my parents for help. And I was like, I was called my parents crying and I was in a church for a supper on, on a Sunday. I don't know if I've shared the story before with you guys. Oh. And I was crying out for help. I'm like, yes, I'm asking for money, but I'm no, I'm not asking for money. I'm asking for help, but I don't want to do crime. I'm, I'm so sick of this lifestyle. 
I need help. And my mom's like, absolutely not. And her and my dad started to fight and my dad took off and he took his cell phone with him, which he never did. And he called me from his cell phone and he goes, listen, boy, if you want help, we'll help you. And I fell down on my knees and, you know, I, in that moment I cried out to God and I was like, I, I need to change. Like, I can't, I can't live this way anymore. Cause it's a hard thing to get to the point where your mother is saying no. And that, and that, <laughs> that, that was, that's a, oh. and you know, I, I started to walk back to like, once my dad said yes to me, you know, I, I just, I felt overwhelmed with joy and I was walking back to the shelter and there was this drunk guy, a local drunk, too tall Dave. I don't know. He's probably still kicking around Grand Prairie. And he was face down in a snowbank. And I literally, as I was walking up, I watched about six people walk past him. And he was face down in the snowbank. And I walked up to him I'm like, Dave, get out of the snow. You're going to freeze to death. <laughs> so fucking drunk, swearing at me and completely belligerent, barely making any sense. Well, I, I just took my coat off and I wrestled and I got my coat underneath him. And he kind of like slowly started to become more, co more coherent and I kind of wrestled with him. I got him up to his feet and then I got him onto a park bench and I passed, he had this little plastic bag with him and he had a bottle of water and he was like, pass me that water. And he started talking to me about the living water and how I just needed to drink from the living water and everything would be okay. Just let go of everything that's going on in my life and it'll be okay. And I didn't realize it in the moment. I didn't even know what the fuck the living water was. I didn't understand what he was talking about. And I had a prolific experience. The first Bible study I went to after I got became saved. And it just happened to be on John chapter 5, the lady at the well. Where Jesus is talking to the lady at the well that was seen as completely unclean about the living water. And I just had this, this, this revelation that... God was speaking to me through that drunk man when I was in that situation. And because of the act of kindness, I showed that man that was drunk in his face. God led me out of that life. So it's through these small choices and like, listen, like, I don't think that like, for whatever reason, God chose me. And I don't think that any, anybody like want, you know what I mean? Like the reality is, is every believer's chosen. Like, Calvin in some way had it right with predestination. We were, we were, God determined our life or at least some of our core values. And so I don't know if God completely knows the whole thing, but I can only assume he does, but we were given choices on the road, right? And it talks about it in Deuteronomy at the beginning. I lay between before your cursings or life, you choose mm -hmm. blessings or death. No. And I know like it, it says that, that God doesn't tempt us, but he tests us. And I think that we all face tests in our life, regardless of what, what path we're on, where we're going, we're going to face moments where we're tested yeah. and there is right and wrong answers to this test. And we will have to live with those consequences eternally. No, I, I do have to say that uh, hearing your experience, hearing where you've come from in this, do you believe that it gives you the opportunity to really grasp the scripture of judge not lest you be judged? Not to say you're not making a judgment call, but to judge other people in the same way that you wish to be judged. is like, man, if if Christ can pull me out of this situation that would, that 
that I was in, who am I to say that he won't do the same for these other people that you're dealing with? And I assume that it gives you a certain level of grace for them that you may not otherwise have. Karl Barth, I believe it was Karl Barth, was asked, do you think that Hitler was saved? Karl Barth responded, if, it, if that quote was from him, responded, I hope so, because then there's hope for me. Hmm. We often see salvation as a gift for us, and, like, and, and it really is, but... Just being saved isn't the purpose of life. Like, if we are not actively seeking to be God's hands and feet on this earth and to potentially lead somebody else, like Spider says it all the time, you might be the only Bible somebody ever reads. That mentality is something that, as believers, I think the church needs to to bring back to the, the forefront that... Uh, we need to actively be seeking the lost. Yeah. Well, heck. Okay. Look at look what we're doing here, right? Well, okay. Well, in that in that in that moment, or in that spirit, to the person who has never set foot in a Bible study or never sat foot in a church to hear the gospel, to the person who's stepped foot in the gospel and not heard the right thing and left feeling like this is all bullshit. To that person, I'm going to ask you two questions. Who are you in Christ, Nigel Dupro? <laughs> and to that person, who are they in Christ? Well, he's called, like, the Word of God tells us that we're his son, right? Like, we are his children. We've been adopted into the family of God. Through the blood of Christ, we are part of his family. And... And it also says that he chooses, he wishes that none should perish. So like, I'm not a universal universalist. Like I don't believe that everyone is saved. Like there, there is some people that believe that despite our, our ignorance and stuff that like everyone is saved. And like, I understand that like you, it, that's an arguable thing. Like you can argue that. And I, I think that like we try to beat that over the head with theology, but I, I, I do believe that people by their own choices, doom themselves to hell. And it, and it really is like learning to be a selfless human being that can love somebody that you hate or come to that place where you can love your enemy and, and love somebody that's hurt you. Like that's a challenging place to really get. And it takes, it's not like, you know, I think there's a lot of, like, it's really easy to say those things that, yeah, I do those things, but, but there's a huge disconnect between knowledge and belief because I can know the characteristics of God, but I can not believe them because if I believe them, I live out of them. And to have that true belief, like I live differently, like you said, like my life is completely different. Have I arrived? Fuck no. <laughs> and like, and, and, I, and I would, I would be spiritually prideful to say that I, I've arrived. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think any man that walks with God will be like, yeah, I'm there. I got you think this. You're better than me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like it, it's, it's nonsense, you know, like. And like some people think that like you have to come to Jesus with something and like, 
No. You just got to show up. If you like, had anything to give, you, you wouldn't need him. <laughs> Honestly, it goes right back to his sacrifice. was the greatest sacrifice. If you had something, he, you didn't need him. That's it. Like, it's not earned. It, it, it's a purely a gift from him that he wants to be in relationship with you, but you have to choose it. Yeah. Because, like, Jesus isn't going to sit there and just talk to himself. Like, he doesn't want a tunnel, like an echo chamber. Like, he's not looking for an echo chamber. Like, that's even, like, I explained to, like, some of the students, like, I, I swear in my prayers all the time. Like, when I'm angry and upset, like, I'm going to God with that. And I'm like, fuck, I don't understand this. Like, what the fuck? Like, sometimes that's my prayer life. But does he need the words to come out of my mouth? Or does he know the inner workings of my heart and know the, know my prayers before I speak them? No, nope, they're null and void. None of them matter. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, oh, nope, not listening. La, he, la, la, la. He like, said, <laughs> fuck, I can't believe he said that. Yeah, I don't think God needs to put on earmuffs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? Like, he created these words. Like, everything that we have came from him, so he gets it. Cain killed Abel, and he still talked to him. He, he, <laughs> he can hear you. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. I think that the church has perverted the gospel. And I'm using this as a broad blanket statement. I'm not calling out this. I'm not calling every church out for this. Uh, like I just. Oh, yes, he is. <laughs> all of you. <laughs> Especially you, John Epp with your church <laughs> and your good looks and your stupid sounding motorcycle. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and your slowly growing Mennonite family. <laughs> we love you, John. <laughs> all right, go for it. You know, it's, it's just like we've, we've perverted something that is so simple We've overthought it. We've destroyed true relationship with religion because we need these constructs in our life to understand God. And really, sometimes all there is to understand is he is who he is. Like, you know, that statement, I am who I am. Like that encompasses so much in that small little phrase that it's like we try to like... And we're so good at like creating these giant theologies around random, obscure... Uh, scriptures and this, like we try to dig these giant mountains out of, out of scripture and try to like build these like, grand theologies and stuff. And sometimes I think we miss the heart of God in it and we over intellectualize them with our, our small finite minds, these things of God. Like, I don't think that like post-trib, pre-trib, like, I don't think that that stuff really matters. Like. I think we're missing the point of a lot of these scriptures and it's just, we want to understand things we don't need to understand. Like the, the real truths in the heart of God is it can be found in the simple, right? Like you see it with, with Jesus just spending time with these broken people and being selfless and serving those around him. And like the world tells us that like in service to other, we're in bondage. And Jesus tells us that in service to other, that we are set free. And this posture of our heart, it's not like, so sometimes it's not always how we posture our life, but it's how, where we, where's our heart postured? Like, am I setting out to serve my brothers and speak life into them and try to build them up and elevate their, their station? Or am I so concerned about my station and where I'm at that I'm willing to like break them down? And under the guise of me breaking them down to build them up. 
because I, th- I think that's a bullshit statement. I don't think we need to break any men. I think God's done that well enough on his own, and he's 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 a master of, through the Holy Spirit, <laughs> convicting men, their, their damage and stuff. Can, to a certain degree, but he sometimes uses us and be like, okay, I, I was having a conversation with this homeless guy a while ago, many years ago now, uh, and whenever he started talking stupid, I stopped listening. Was at a certain level, I'm not saying I was breaking him, yeah. but I wasn't g- validating his conversation. Just no, because that's a whole different thing than intentionally trying to yeah. devalue somebody. Yeah. yeah. You know, no, to, no, the, to the point where, to the point where you, they think you hate them and be like, all right, time to rebuild you. Yes. Yeah. No, that, that's <laughs> like time to reprogram you. <laughs> like that's what that is. Like, yeah. That's, I, I just want to make sure we get clear understanding of, okay, what does it mean to break? Yeah. Like, yeah. like. Really, the club is a microcosm of the church on a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Well, it's what the church is failing to do a lot in a lot of ways, right? When it when it comes to discipleship, actual discipleship, taking the time to build brotherhood, to be like, okay, this is not just my my friend, my my comrade in religious arms. This is somebody that I'm going to call brother. That's something that the club does very well when it comes to actually. Yeah, that a lot of church doesn't. Church well, does not you, do life. You look at the book of Acts and they all lived together and they lived in a communal life mm-hmm. and, and like, yeah, they were brothers. They, they needed each other to survive. Yeah. And that's the reality is the human state of the church is church is still at that, that we still need that relationship with each other. Yeah. Because if we can't live out some sort of relationship between our brothers, how are we going to have a relationship with God? Cause yeah. we don't understand true relationship until you learn to trust your brother beside you, especially on the road, right? Yeah. Like I think this is a fair thing to call the church out and call it too, is to be like, it's not just about Sunday morning, hearing a TED talk and singing songs. It's about communal life together. Absolutely. Like it maybe culminates in this Sunday, but it needs to be more and you need to make it more. And, and, and it needs to like bring in levels of accountability where like, do you want this or not? Yeah. Cause like Groot says it well, you know, like, like my table's full. I'm not looking for friends, but there's always room for a brother. And having that kind of mentality in our walk with God is like, how serious are you about this shit? Like, is this just a Sunday thing? Or are you just doing this to feel better about oh, yourself? Yeah. How was your week? Cause like, it's good. It's great. Love it. Great. Love. I'm, God bless, man. I'm doing pray, good. I'm doing praying, okay, for, man. praying for you. Do you know what, you know what fine means when people tell you they're fine? I'm fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. That's what I hear when they say I'm fine. So I'm thin. Yeah. Not emotional. <laughs> Fuck emotions. Emotions are for pussies. I'm thin. <laughs> but it, like, I don't know, man. Like, to so, try to, like, tell people or, like, show them that, like, the importance of brotherhood and, like, having that, those connections with men and other, or whatever, if you're, you're female with, with women. Like, we need these connections in life. So let me know if I said this because, like, I had a couple of drinks. Uh, <laughs> so what I recognize is that this, this, your time and what you've learned is to allow you to show this grace to the people that may not otherwise have it and, and really give you opportunity, give you an understanding that, that somebody who read the books, like really good at reading books, really good at going to college and that may, they, they don't have that. They might have the psychology degree, but they don't have the experience. 
that that you they can help you. That's the thing. They can help you who has been through it, but you can help others better than they can. Absolutely. Like I think that like experience like well, it's like trade school. Like you have to go through shit to understand it. Yeah. Like you have to take that time of both working practically and and going through some shit to get to, to tr- truly become a journeyman yeah. of sorts and whatnot. And like recovery, like I don't care who you are, man. Like you hear people in the 12 step room is recovery or relapse isn't a part of recovery. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't have to be, but for the vast majority of people, we're fucking stupid and we, our brains are programmed. It takes time and, and experience to reprogram shit and change the direction of our life. So often it's like fucking operation. We're going to bounce off the side and set the fucking buzzer off every now and again. But I just pray that if you go through that, you live through it because nowadays the grace that there is for that because of the fucking potency of fentanyl and, and the dirty scumbag drug dealers that are using the same spoon to scoop fentanyl or scooping cocaine with the same spoon, getting a hot spot in their blow and killing people that don't even do fentanyl. You know what I mean? Like the cross contamination is probably the number one killer of people now. Now, yeah, now is a, a, I, a I, more I, dangerous time than ever to do drugs. To, and to relapse, right? I know and, I know that Devin's got a really profound thing to add because he's got his phone out. <laughs> so um, I, I do have to ask one more part before we start fucking wrapping up. Is it nearly impossible to do this alone? Because I know of a lot of people, they try and get clean, they isolate themselves from the crowds that they were in, and they put themselves into centers such as the one that you're working with. But is part of being in that community really, it, 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 it's a key to to success? Because if you're, if you go from a successful environment back into nothing, it's nearly, I, I assume it's almost impossible. Like what, what, what part does family and, and community play? Everything. Everything. Everything once you step out the door. Um, so getting connected the, the, with the people. saving grace of my mother dying was you guys was stretch coming and picking me up from my parents' house when I was in the basement was Nick checking on me and taking me to go when my own family didn't want me there asking me to go out with his kids and hang out with Nathan and spend time with their family. So you know what I mean? Like when my blood family turned me away, I still had a community in my life mm-hmm. of my chosen family people that have put the time in with me built relationship that I trust now because of that time we've spent together because of the conversations that we've been willing to have the candidness the openness the vulnerability those things be build strong relationship and I'm not always going to be strong enough yeah but I got a fucking army standing behind me yeah because God knows what we need and he and that's what the Bible teaches us to fucking live like yeah, is to have these people in our life that don't have to be our blood, mm-hmm. but they can, we're to carry other body, people's burdens. Ecclesiastes talks, what two is better than one because one will pick you up. Mm-hmm. Like these, this is biblical living, living in brotherhood. And 
that's where there's success and whether it's overcoming pornography, whether it's overcoming overeating, where it's overcoming drugs, whatever you're trying to overcome in your life. If you have enough people around you that are going to fucking give you wise counsel. And if you're actually going to open your ears and listen and allow some accountability in your life, you're going to fucking get through it. Well, Jordan Peterson talks about it too. When he talks about having friends that want better for you, that want to build you up, that, that, want more of you than what you are and so yeah it just goes back to that community and now i i know this is going to sound a little defensive but when you came on our podcast last year after your mother died and i asked you i'm like hey i know you're recovering i know you're going through the steps and all this stuff but what do you want to do here we drink we have whiskey here we've set a precedent but at the same time we can go sober, we can go, and you're like, dude, I just want to have a whiskey with my brothers. I was very cautious. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit, uh, how, how do we react in this moment? There, there's the, okay, we just know hard line, say no, it's fine. I'm like, what makes you feel more like a pussy than anything else? It's like the guys who you know that love you, support you, want the best for you, telling you, no, you can't handle this. Or, or being like, okay, but but we need to be cautious. We're going to keep an eye. We're going to check and say, hey, man, you got to keep this in check. Because it, it was something, I'm like, do we tear you down or do we lift you up or do we draw a hard line? I'm like, this that was one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make, yeah. giving you a single drink. You know what? Um, and it, it was all done in love, too. I'm like, okay, 100%. how do we do this? Being in a safe environment... Where I, like, I knew motive is everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, because, like, now I, I've taken, like, I'd, I've now made a covenant with the Lord, right? Yeah. Because of my, I decided to take a Nazarite vow with our club, which entails, uh, once you complete a fast, that you make a covenant between you and God, that you abstain from drugs and alcohol for the rest of your life. But there's a purpose mm-hmm. for that abstination. It's not because it's for my good. It's for the next guy's good. Because I've now devoted myself to others. Yeah. And I'm now a point of contact in the club for any man that's struggling. Yeah. Or has substance abuse issues or whatever. Or whatever he's trying to overcome. I've, I've set myself aside as a point of contact. And like I have more people that know my phone number that like know that like they can call me any time of the night. And if I answer, I answer, like, I don't promise ever. Cause like sometimes I, I, I turn my phone on silent, but if I, if my phone, it vibrates beside my head, I'll wake up and, and I truly trust God enough that if I need to wake up and he's going to put somebody calling my, my number, he'll wake me up Yeah, because he's faithful to do, he's done it in the past. You know, um, he's not a brother in the club yet, but he's my brother. Like he's earned that title, uh, in Saskatoon, he's called me in the middle of the night and be like, I'm, I'm fucking going through some shit right now. And he's like, I don't trust my brain right now. He's like, I need you. And we just sat on the phone and talked for, for not very long, you know, 10, 15 minutes, middle of the night. And him, like, <laughs> we need to fucking blow up this stigma that you're being a nuisance. If you fucking need something from me, fucking call me. Mm-hmm. Don't ever feel like you're a burden on my life because... 
that's fucking a cop out for you. This this fear and this lie in your own brain trying to steer you away from asking for fucking help is fucking bullshit. Get over it. Men fucking ask for help. We need fucking help in situations, especially in this day and age of like this fucking growing detestable fucking suicide. Kill yourself is okay. Fucking bullshit. Yeah. Become a made man. Yeah. Like that's fucking nonsense. Telling our fucking soldiers that served their country and fucking got hit with an IED or whatever freeze and they're medically retired or a PTSD. And now you're going to tell these men that, yeah, just, just shoot yourself. That's okay. That is an option. Thank you for your or, service. Or have yeah. a doc- or have a doctor do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, uh, like we there's no fucking trauma that like, what is it? James four seven and eight. There is no temptation that is, it that is common to man. Oh, how does that go? There is no temptation that is common to man, that God cannot. Like, basically, what I I'm par- paraphrasing because I don't know it off by heart. I used to, but it's basically God saying there's no temptation that we face that's that if it has a name, we, that somebody else has faced it and there is no temptation that we can't overcome with God. He will always provide us a way of escape. And sometimes that's calling a brother. Sometimes that's reaching out, you know, like we can give in to that temptation, whether it's those lies to kill ourselves or it's uh, those lies to reach for a substance that we can find our solace in the bottom of a bottle or the bottom of drugs or whatever it is. Do I think that, um, do I trust like, and back to like the drink and stuff too. Yeah. Like, do I believe what God says about me? That I'm a new creation, that the old has passed away and I'm, I am new. Do I, do I live from that scripture or do I cop out and say that I'm once an addict, always an addict? I don't, I, 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 oh, I hate that language. And it is, it is fucking bullshit and it keeps people fucking sick. And it keeps the, the rooms of NA and AA alive. Listen, there's some good shit that happens there. I'm trying not to negate that. But this fucking once an addict, always an addict is fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, do I always have it's, a predisposition towards something? I do believe that. Like the enemy knows my weaknesses and the cracks in my armor. And is he going to go for that when I fucking do something? I think he will always yeah. reach out and try to attack a point of that he, th- that he views as a weakness. Yeah. Um, but am I a new creation in Christ? That's right. 100% I am. I do not deny my past and the experience I live through, but I will not live in fear and I will not let it control my life. Do, have I had drinks responsibly? Yes. Have I partaken in smoking weed? Not anymore because there's reasons before. Like I have my reasons, but it's not because I don't think I can handle it, but I don't need it anymore. I don't need. You got a bigger reason not to. Absolutely. And and when it comes to like, uh, doing crystal, like anybody that says that they can like socially use crystal meth or like if you're touching crystal meth, that's made in a bathroom sink, like go fuck yourself. You're an idiot. (laughs) Like, so, so for whatever they, reasons, like once so, you, once you overcome so, it, but like if you convince yourself that it's okay for me to have the odd, odd puff of so crystal meth. So it's made by Walter White, I'll be fine. Cause it's <laughs> not made to sink. I, he said it. You heard him say it. I'm good. But it's like 97% <laughs> pure. Well, it's it just like, do I need to be cautious when I use pain medications? Like I'm probably not going to like ask a daughter or doctor for Dilaudid's or Hydromorphs or whatever, but. I'm, I'm going to take Tylenol because 
I fucking beat my body up and I ache sometimes. Do yeah. I think that that's going to lead me to, to being loyal to the foil again and smoking heroin? I probably not, but I have to be mindful of these things. Yeah. But to completely abstain and, and live in fear of these substances, like I think it's, it's, it's nonsense. It's running from your own shadow at that point. That's the thing. It's like, like I, I had a guy that had eight years clean. Basically, like I went down to a shelter to like help a guy we just kicked out of the center to get him a shelter bed at another shelter. So I went to go to drive him. And this guy basically told me that I shouldn't go down there. I don't like accountability because I, I took a guy with me that he didn't think was a good accountability partner. And I didn't tell him that I was going. I'm like, well, listen, like, I'm not going to tell you everything I do. Like, did I make a mistake? by going and helping my brother and driving him to go get a shelter bed, I didn't do dope. And he's like, well, I can't go down there because I'm scared that I will do dope. Three months later, that man who had eight years clean relapsed. Yeah, because he's a fear. He was driven by fear. He's living in fear. And for whatever reason, he was building up offenses with people to justify a relapse, right? Like that's often what we do. Like that's why forgiveness is so key to our existence as well yeah. is because if we allow these offenses to build up in my life, I'm all I'm doing is I'm stacking bricks between me and God. Oh God. And all of a sudden I'm like, I can't hear God's voice when I'm making a bad decision. I'm praying for something and all I'm getting is dead air. So I'm thinking yeah. God's okay with it. Yeah. And you that's, I mean? and that's not just for addiction, like to Whatever. substance, addiction Whatever. to anger, to ego, to, 100. uh, you know, issues with trauma and self body image, you stack up offenses, offenses, offenses to justify your bad behavior. Absolutely. No, that. Yep. Yeah. All right. Cool. I got to fucking wrap this up. <laughs> All right, boys. <laughs> this was amazing. Nigel, thank I, you so much for your candor. Top and 10. Absolutely, if not Dude, better. That was Dude, fun. What a, I, I'm going to fucking call it top 10, uh, top five. I don't know. Just it, This has been so much fun. It's, it's always great. I'm, yeah. I'm jacked. And I think you, you said some, some stuff today that may actually really help somebody if they stumble across this thing, and thank you. Yeah. You know what? I, I pray they do because, like, None of this is like what I've gone through isn't special and unique and I'm nothing fucking special, but the God we serve is amazing. And he, I guarantee if somebody needs to hear this, he'll, he will make it happen regardless if it's somebody stumbling across it or if it's somebody, one of our friends listens to it or whatever, because every time I've done a podcast, they're like, Oh, we heard you on the podcast. Just like random people. I've heard like, really, it, it's actually quite strange. Huh. Like, fucking download, like, share, <laughs> you motherfuckers. <laughs> and with that, we'll say God bless, guys. Have a great night. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Peace out. Peace.